A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Well, PJ has taken the day off and indeed tomorrow because uh, this is our very first February bank holiday weekend. So he gets Monday off as well. Lucky thing. And... uh, where I would usually be strolling around the odd morning, looking out on the view here from the studio window, which the guys, what a view to wake up to in the morning. Well, I know they're wide awake, but to look back out across Cork City. Um, and he's somewhere out there because I know he's taken the time to do a little bit of business. So I'll be doing his business here and I'll be chatting to you. And I'm looking forward to your stories. This is Gareth O'Callaghan. It's lovely to be here. I've often stood in Patrick Street and looked up at this window thinking, hmm... Maybe, maybe, maybe someday. So here I am, and you've got all the numbers. You can text or WhatsApp 083 396 And the uh, email address, as always, is opinion at uh, 96fm.ie. Lots coming up. A couple of great stories this morning. If you've ever wondered, can my dream really come true? Well, it takes a lot of work, particularly if you're going to commit your life to that dream. But put it this way, there's one lady I'm going to talk to this morning. She's a young 24-year-old girl from Ballancolic. And this lady has, I suppose, fulfilled the dream of a lifetime. And she wants to turn it into a career. And she's going to be talking to me a little later this morning as well. Now, uh, speaking of um, legends, uh, PJ will be back on Tuesday, but it has been announced, as Pierce mentioned in the news there at nine o'clock, and as the guys mentioned earlier on, Rod Stewart is coming to Cork. Now, Mairead Tuhig from the 96FM newsroom was at the Live of the Marquee press announcement this morning, where none other than Rod Stewart was announced. Uh, Mairead, good morning. What can you tell me? Good morning, Gareth, and great to hear you on air. Um, you. So yeah, really exciting morning here at the River Lee Hotel where we heard that Rod Stewart is coming back to Live at the Marquee. It was 14 years ago uh, when he played Live at the Marquee and obviously he's been in Parky Creeps since as well. So fierce excitement to hear that uh, that he's coming back and it's on the 20th of June in this year, 2023. And tickets are on sale next Thursday, the 9th of February at 9am. So fierce excitement and uh, it was lovely to, to all be brought together this morning to, to hear uh, who's coming back to the Marquee. Is it really 14 years, Braid? That's it, 14 years. And Peter Aiken was chatting to us and he said, like, it doesn't even feel like it's been yeah. 14 years. Like, to him, it feels like it was only yesterday that he was he was in Cork and, and playing out live at the Marquee. So it's great to see him back again. And you know what? It's great to see uh, international artists like Rod Stewart wanting to come back and wanting to play at the, live at the Marquee again. Do you know, I, I interviewed him back in 1999 and he played Wembley Arena and uh, we went over to interview him and uh, he was chilling with a bottle of beer after the gig and we were invited into his dressing room 
Um, he's not one of these great big egotistical kind of stars. There were there were no little, uh, you know, the sort of stuff that the likes of the big bands want. They demand this and they demand that. He was just happy with a bottle of beer and his wife sitting beside him, Penny Lancaster. So they stood up to say hello to us. And uh, she's a towering, beautiful woman. She must be about six foot three. Um, and he's, uh, let's just say, slightly not as tall. But uh, he, one thing about him, and I was actually, when, when I heard this morning that it was, it was being announced, I was looking up recent photographs of him. He hasn't changed. No, he hasn't. And I even follow him now on TikTok because I know Penny's on TikTok and they do, they have a dance there to Do You Think I'm Sexy, one of his <laughs> best known songs, and he's there doing it with her. So he's just, he's such a performer, like he's unreal. And uh, what Peter Eakin was telling us is that for his rider, like, so when he when he comes, they need to have like a hundred footballs for him because he loves to like sign them and throw them into the crowd. Yeah. So it's amazing. Like he just, oh, he's, he's just brilliant. Like, and it's, it's exciting to, to see him come back to the marquee. And like, there's so many great acts already announced. You know, you've got the likes of Ali Murs coming here, Christy Moore, firm favourite, you know, Jenny Green, Mimi Webb, um, and Tommy Tiernan. So it's it's going to be a really exciting lineup. And now to add Rod Stewart to that, it's just fantastic. Yeah. We saw Christy a few years back pre COVID, but we couldn't get tickets for Jenny. And I'm hoping to get tickets for Jenny Green this year. That's an amazing night. Oh, it's such, it's brilliant. I went to see her at the, one of the, the jazz weekends a few years ago and it's, it's such a, it's such a cool show and it's a great atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. She's just, she's, she's amazing. So give us the date again, Rod. It's this coming June, isn't it? It is. This coming June, the 20th of June. It's a one-off show and uh, the tickets go on sale next Thursday, the 9th of February at 9am. Great. Great to talk to you. Enjoy the, the rest of the morning there, Marie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gareth. Take care. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Mike. Now, I'd love to hear your views on this, on religion being phased out of schools. It's something that has gathered a lot of momentum over the last few months. More and more young families across Cork are choosing to opt out, as they say, of their children's religious education. So, is there a place for religion in our schools anymore? And what about homework? President Michael D. Higgins recently called for homework to be banned in schools. I wish he had been around when I was in school. What are your thoughts? You can phone us on 0818 96 96 96 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Joy is on the line. Good morning to you. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm great, thank you. And uh, the weather showed up nicely for us this morning as well. Indeed. It's the first morning I haven't worn a jacket dropping the kids off to school frozen. So I'm quite happy with that. Oh, very much. So you're you're a fan of uh, 1st of February being the start of spring, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Why not? Okay. Now, you're you're a mom of two children. That's right. uh, You lived in New Zealand and America. And when returning to Ireland, you decided to opt out of religion classes for the two young children. Why was that? So, <clears throat> for us, we we had no choice. We kind of came back, um, I suppose, where we came back in June 21 and um, I was uh, plan- I wasn't planning on staying, ended up staying. So, it was kind of a very last minute decision getting the kids into the school they were in, which is a Catholic school. Now, it happened to be the same school that I was in um, uh, when I was small. So I know the school, I love the school, I love the teachers, so I just want to say that straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we opted out was because um, my youngest, um, well, she had never, she hadn't even started, she was only about four, five when we came back, so she was just starting. 
and my oldest um, is eight. So he, he, he had never done religion in school in New Zealand or in the States. So they don't have religion in schools over there. It's a multicultural society. They're kind of ahead of the game as far as I'm concerned, to be honest. I think Ireland, um, I don't think there is as many people practicing religion um, in Ireland now than there was, let's say, 30 years ago. Um, and there's definitely not as many Catholics um, in Ireland now. And <clears throat> the schools, unfortunately, there's just not very many options. Um, we There is an Educate Together in the area that we live, but they had a waiting list for about five years. Like, there was just no way we were getting in there. Mm-hmm. And so we were left with the school that I went to, um, which is a Catholic school, and I kind of was comfortable sending them there, but only if we opted out of the religion class. Now, it was a very difficult decision because... Um, you know, you don't want your kid to be the only one who's not, who's different, right? No yeah. parent wants their child to be the one that's different for any reason. Um, and it kind of felt like I was making a decision on their behalf um, that at first felt like a bit scary and all, are they going to be kind of singled out? My son was the only one in his class who was not doing religion. Um, and my daughter, when she started, there's three of them now not doing religion. Um, I'm not a religious person I'm not Catholic I don't uh, even though I was reared that way I don't never practiced you know I did my confirmation my communion all of that kind of stuff but um, to be honest I just my belief is that and I've met very religious people in my life and they're very committed to their religion um, my belief is that in Irish schools if we made it so that you had to opt in rather than opting out um, I think that there would be a lot of kids who wouldn't take on religion. So, for example, if the school had religious classes on a Saturday or if they had religious classes for an hour after school or for half an hour after school, I don't think, I think the parents that wanted to opt in would opt in and the parents that um, uh, were, you know, kind of like me, you know, a lot of my generation, kids aren't um, being taught religion at home. Mm -hmm. It's not being enforced at home. They're not going to mass every Sunday. You know, it's just kind of... um, it, to me, it seems kind of it would make more sense that everyone was opted out. All the schools were opted out. And then if you wanted to do religion, absolutely make it available for people who want to do it. Um, but for those of us who don't, I don't think it should be used. I don't think there should be religion taught in schools full stop. Yeah, and I, it's, it's worth saying at this stage that for many people, religion is the foundation of their lives and they get great support and succor out of, of their beliefs. But it, so it, it clearly is a kind of a, it's, it, it's a split here in terms of whether it should stay or whether it should be, uh, you know, moved out and, and replaced, I think, by ethics, which will eventually lead to philosophy. Yes, which is so useful. Yeah. Like philosophy is very useful. Ethics, very useful. You know, kids understanding morals and what it means to be a good person and what it means to be a kind person. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm teaching my kids. And I know religion covers a lot of that. It does. But like most kids, like we're living in a multicultural Irish society now. And I think the schools need to catch up to that um, because there's a lot of pressure unnecessary on the kids who are opting out. You know, they do feel different. They do feel like they stand out of it. Um, but at the same time, I think... The, the weighing that up with, well, am I just going to pretend to be Catholic for the next six years or ten years? Like, no, of course not. Um, I'm not going to be taking my child to class or to to mass every Sunday. So, you know, the other thing as well, guys, to understand is like in the 70s in Ireland, was it when the 70s and the Pope came? 
the place was flooded with people. There were mm. so many Catholics. And then when he came again more recently, like the numbers were probably 20% of what they were. Oh, yeah. Not 100 percent you remember looking at that. So like that would give you a gauge of the people who take religion seriously in Ireland now. Like it's about 80% less potentially than it was 30, 50 years ago. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so because I, I remember when Pope John Paul II came mm-hmm. in September 1979, there were one and a quarter million people, which at that, at that stage was over a quarter of the population of the entire country. Hmm. And the last visit of the Pope? Probably 200,000, if that. Right. Yeah. So you're talking like a huge decrease. And that in itself will tell you, okay, there's people who are really committed and there's people who are kind of just doing it because, here, my mom and dad want me to have a confirmation or a communion or whatever, you know? Mm. The, pa- the parents want the baby to be baptized because... Oh God, what would happen? You know, yeah. it's just like I think we we're kind of gone beyond that level of thinking now. Um, a lot of us, a lot of my generation, like I'm uh, just forty, so my kids are kind of all both under eight. So I think there's a lot of parents that would relate to what I'm saying, and a lot of parents who are crying out for more educate together schools or more services um, for for people like us. You know, not yeah. just Catholic schools. It just seems wrong that ninety percent of the schools in the country are. Catholics. Joy, stay with me because Vanessa Vanessa's on the line. Morning to you, Vanessa. Good morning. Um, you're raising your kids without religion? I am. I am, happily. And what made you make that decision? Um, well, I was raised in the Catholic faith uh, and at 14 I lost my faith um, partially because of how I was treated by the Catholic Church when I came out as bisexual um, and partly just because I wanted a better worldview, to be honest. Um, and so I've been out of faith. I'm now 35. Um, I've been out of the faith for a long time and I want my children to have the best start in life and to understand that your faith doesn't have to define you, uh, that you can define your own morality, um, especially when you look at the history of the morality that's being taught by these faiths. How were you treated when you when you decided to tell people you were bisexual? I was kicked out. Out of? I was out of my church. Excommunicated? No, I was just asked not to come back. Wow. And and who, um, without was, naming anybody, who, in, who, to, who said that to you? Um, one of the sisters and one of the fathers. I was brought in for a discussion. Um, I was part of the... Uh, church choir and I was part of uh, I was an altar server and I was brought in with a meeting with one of the priests and the uh, sister and I was asked not to come back because I'd be a bad influence How did you feel? I was 14, I was good absolutely good Um, and yeah I, I for a long time, for about two, three years, I tried to, you know, understand it. I tried different fates. I tried to fit my own worldview into into different fates, and it just didn't work for me. Atheism was the only thing that really made sense um, after a while. So, yeah, I would like my child, um, when he's old enough, to decide for himself whether or not he wants to follow a faith and if that is the case if that is the case i would like for him to have all of the information instead of being indoctrinated at a very early age into one particular faith and when did that sense of freedom hit you so in other words you were gutted when you were 14 Uh, when did you feel that release that 
I have a completely different outlook on life and and my beliefs are my own. Um, I'd say about 17, 18, really when I started engaging in the world around me, uh, the wider world around me. Um, I think that was when I really felt okay. And meeting more atheists, meeting more people who had different points of view instead of just being stuck in a school where you're taught what to believe or you're told what to believe. Um, meeting different people of different faiths definitely did help. So if, if, if religion is phased out, which it, it, it will be, um, that will mean that so will First Holy Communions and presumably Confirmation. I think, look, I think they should be a personal uh, a personal task. If if you want your child baptised, if you want your child communi- uh, communicated, if you want them um, to make their confirmation, that should be a private choice made by the household, not forced down someone's throat through the school. Uh, it should be completely separate. This idea of bringing people out of class in order to perform these rituals is basically reinforcing the idea that if you don't follow these rituals, you're different and you're dangerous. Mm. Joy, if if I can just come back to you for a moment, uh, do do the, the, the children ask you about religion, and do they do they talk about the fact that other children in the classrooms are, are learning religion? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, first, can I just say, Vanessa, I just am so sorry that that happened to you. That is so awful, and that is exactly the kind of thing that I do not want to happen to my children. Which is one of the reasons that they are not also. Um, uh, you know, taking these religious lessons and we've opted out completely um, for those reasons. Because if my daughter grew up and she came out and said, I'm bisexual, mum, and uh, and she was rejected by the church, that would just be, that's heartbreaking to me. So I'm so sorry that happened to you. Um, second of all, just what you said, Garrett, about the kids coming home from school, they do come home, sometimes they're singing Emmy, and my youngest daughter comes home and she's singing <laughs> religious songs, which mm. is funny. She, they kind of, it's not reinforced, so it doesn't bother me. What bothers me is like I had to look at their before before we fully decided that they weren't going to do religion. I had a look at the religious books, and they're giving um, textbooks to children, religious textbooks to five year olds that have coloring pages in them with a dead man on the cross, and it's like color in Jesus on the cross. And then draw the picture of his mother, Mary, crying. Like, this is disturbing to me. Like, can you imagine if we move on from this and in the ethics books that we teach, that there's, here's a picture of Bobby Sands um, dead, and can we call her in Bobby Sands and let's do, like, people around him crying? Like, we'd be outraged by that as a society. It seems disgraceful that these books show these images um, and then the kids are coming. My daughter was like, what is that? Why is that man nailed onto a cross? Like, why am I drawing his mo-? Like, this is upsetting to them. Mm. So I don't, I think it's wrong. I think exactly what Vanessa said, indoctrination from a young age. And we are well beyond that as a society. Like, we're smart enough to know now Look, we're living in a country that has lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds. We all know any reasonable person would say there's more than one path to God. And if you really don't believe that, well, then that's your personal decision. Mm-hmm. Vanessa, uh, do you, Vanessa, do you still believe in a God? No. Nothing? No, I don't. No. Um, to be honest with you, uh, because it's not provable, there's... There, 
you can't prove one way or the other whether there is a God or not. I don't believe there is a God because I think we would have um, seen or heard something from said God. Um, and I think there is much more interesting and important uh, questions that need to be answered that religion or that believing in a God will take away the incentive to answer. And so I would like those questions answered. I would like to focus more on this world, on this life, than worry about what comes after. And I think a lot of people get so hung up on what comes after your death because you're so terrified of your death that you stop living. And I don't want that for me or my son. Yeah. And I, I noticed that there are, there are very few, in fact, there are no calls coming in to support the other side of the argument this morning so far. But um, and, and can I just say I would, also? I would, can yeah. I can I just say I, I support religion being taught, but in an objective way. Uh, what's happening now is, first of all, you have uh, history, geography, and science being lumped in as one subject, given three hours a week, which is actually vitally important for students, uh, young students, and then you have religion being taught. Um, an entire term is dedicated to uh, Christianity. And then you have another term that's dedicated to every other religion. So if they were to do it objectively and teach people, these are the beliefs, these are what people understand, people, this is what people uh, need to, to need to believe, then that would be fine. But what they're doing is they're putting a bias on Christianity to say, this is what you're going to understand. And they they teach the entirety of Christianity and then they introduce the other religions. So as if to say to, to children, you don't have to understand the complexities of the other religions. This is the one that we want you to focus on. Mm-hmm. And in, in children's minds, then that creates a bias to say, well, I understand this religion, therefore it must be safe. Right, Vanessa, I'm so sorry you had to go through that experience and I'm sure it still causes you a lot of pain even though it's 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 a few years back now. It was definitely unfortunate. Yeah. It was unfortunate. Well, look, I know... Um, I don't hate religion. I don't no. hate religion and I don't hate um, anyone that believes in religion, that has faith. Um, but yeah, that was my experience. Well, congratulations on Oshin arriving in the world, um, yeah. born last June and that's wonderful news. So uh, I hope it brings you lots of joy and love. Thank you. He does. He's an absolute sweetheart. Great. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Vanessa. Thanks. Joy, just one final question. Did did you have to go to uh, did you have to go through the procedure of getting baptismal certificates which of course is now no longer needed to get the kids into the primary schools? No, we didn't. Thank God because they asked us about that and I was like they're not baptized so don't worry about it. Um um, yeah, my little devil children inside <laughs> running around the place, influencing all the other ones. Um, no, they no, we didn't have to do that. Thank God. If we'd had to, here's me. Thank God. Then, um, so <laughs> this, yeah, yeah, I, I know, it, 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 absolutely, yeah. And just as a matter of interest, like Vanessa says, she doesn't believe in anything. Uh, is there something that you? Is there something beyond this life in in, in your heart, in your mind? Absolutely. I mean, my personal belief is that we are all our own gods that are own that we're all connected. That there's kind of a higher consciousness, and we all have a little piece of that in us. Um, but that we're all connected. So, I don't know. I don't necessarily believe in one thing that decides and controls. Absolutely not. I think more the idea of God is the idea of 
unification Mm -hmm. of people, call it whatever you want, but it's the idea that we are all connected in some way. We all come from the same source, whatever that source is. So that's my belief, but um, I I don't know that... um, that it, and I think all religions kind of ascribe to that on a very basic level that we yeah. all come from one source. But the idea of something deciding good or bad, or that at the end of your life there's like a tally and you're going to heaven or hell, like I, it, that's all rubbish to me. And that I think all of that was made up just for the Catholic Church to make money because that's what they would do and be like, you know, yeah. pay or in, you know, and then you won't be, you know, confess your sins, all this kind of stuff. I don't know. I just think that um, that the idea of we all come from love, we all we all have that us that in us, um, and that is what makes um, human beings connect to each other, and that's what we're all craving for is a connection and an understanding. And I think we can find it in ourselves as opposed to externally. Very well put. Finally, and I'm just curious in relation to communions and confirmations, mm-hmm. where do you stand on that? Uh, will Will your son oh. make his, his, his confirmation? No. no, they won't be doing any of that. Right. Um, they, yeah, no. I think if that's become, that's gotten to the stage now where it's like, it's like uh, commercialized. Like the way Easter now, Easter when we were kids used to be, you got your Easter egg and that was it. Now it's like full Easter baskets and there's hunts and it's like a whole commercialized thing. Same with Valentine's Day. And I think that unfortunately communions and confirmations are falling into that commercialized thing people taking their daughters to get spray tans like it's just insanity so i mean everyone do whatever you want i would never do that to my child but i just think that the the communions and confirmations again like mm-hmm. they're part of of our tradition that we just keep doing them over and over again it's like well hang on a second what is the point of this? Does yeah. anyone actually believe in what we're doing here? Because it seems like we're operating blindly. And um, I think anyone who wants to do it, go for it. But don't make it so that the study has to be done in school and everyone else has to suffer when they don't want to do it. I, I, I'll always recall a story, and I'll leave you with this. And yeah. this is in relation to um, a young girl who was making her first Holy Communion. And they arrived at the hairdressers, herself and her mother, and the hairdresser said to her, she said, what time is the communion? And she said, 11 o'clock. And she said, well, you know, it's 20 to 11. You're going to be late. And she says, oh, we're not going to the church. We're just going to go straight to the hotel. Oh, gee, great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wow. the, so, Joy, great to talk to you. <laughs> great to talk to you too, Gareth. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joy and Vanessa. Now, a lot of reaction to this. This is a very contentious issue and it's gathering a lot of momentum and it's growing legs. What are your views on religion being phased out of schools? Uh, John is in Mallow. Good morning to you, John. Hello, good morning, Gareth. Now, you want to keep religion in schools? Um, no, Gareth, I think you might have got the um, crossed um, wires crossed there. I'm actually in Cork City, but oh, no, right. my um, thinking on it is that I have... Um, Sorry, John, there, there, there was another John actually coming through there. Sorry about that. You, so, oh, okay, no problem. Okay. Um, no, I have a child going to an Educate Together school, and um, a few years ago I had to pull them in relation to um, the Muslim religion being pushed. And I said to them, um, look, I'm just, I've no problem with you not covering religions, but I said you seem to be pushing the Muslim religion more than any other religion. So, oh, we don't really, we just, we do world religion. I said, well, you have signs up saying that, oh, it's this holiday in the Muslim religion. And I said, you're not doing it for the Catholic religion, so either do it for them all or don't do it at all. 
Um, you know, they didn't really like it, but at the same time, um, I just didn't think it was very fair. Like, even at Christmas time, you know, they're not allowed, they don't really put up any decorations in case they offend other kids and everything. I think it's completely over the top, but they're, they're happy enough to take the holidays and stuff. So, um, I don't think, like, he's very happy there and they're very nice and everything, but I don't think, um, you know, that's the answer to everything either. That the, I think Ireland has changed a lot as well. And I mean, I had a daughter in secondary school and she said, again, she knew more about the Muslim religion than the Catholic one because they were learning about it. So times have moved on and, you know, they're not pushing the Catholic religion on everybody in every school. I don't think it's as big a deal as people make it out to be anymore, you know. If, if I remember rightly, I think it's probably about 15 years now since, could be even more, uh, since the first Educate Together school opened. I think it was in Dublin, uh, North Dublin. And if I remember back that far uh the reason one of the one of the reasons was because so many people of other religions as distinct from catholicism didn't want to send their children to primary schools that were run by by the religious you know orders and and the likes of the catholic church but i i would have thought that the, the the whole Muslim religion thing was being played down now because we've got let's let's face it i mean we're 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 multifaceted in our beliefs we we have beliefs about all sorts of things now that we weren't allowed or we were discouraged from believing all those years back well that's it and i mean the thing about us is that's what what my point was that you know i mean you know why aren't you teaching about the catholic beliefs or why aren't you and like to be honest with you a lot of those teachers would have probably come from a lot of that background anyway the same as as I grew up and now I didn't have a problem with them not not teaching them the Catholic but don't don't be pushing the Muslim religion on them don't be pushing any religion on them just you know keep it separate um, but I did think it was a bit you know a little bit um, over the top as well when it came to Christmas that decorations were played down don't offend any anybody else in the class and then I, I you know I think it's it's a bit over the top as well to be honest with you and you know I I think that that even the lady was saying earlier on about the colouring. That you know, if if she's worried about the child being exposed to that, so when with electronic devices now and stuff, they're exposed to a lot more. Do you know what I mean? There's, yeah. there, there's a lot more out there now to worry about than that, than that. No, it's just that I I felt that um you know that that the, the modern schools have changed completely in recent years in the way that they do religion in terms of. You know, no one is pressurized to do anything. I don't think anymore. And you know, you'd be you'd be amazed at what what they're learning about other religions now in schools as well. Mm. I, and just out of curiosity, do you think that Catholic schools have changed their views of sexuality issues around you know gay people, well, LGBTQ? Didn't the Pope come out recently and say, I'm, I'm stand correct in this now, but did he not come out recently and say that we've got to accept everybody in the church, whether they be gay or not? So I think the Catholic yeah. Church is changing their views and, and, their, and their way as well. Um, and I just said to your colleague earlier on that I just think, I was thinking about this recently that, do you know the way, um, when, we were, when I was growing up in a way that, that, you know, obviously the Catholic Church had a big impact on everyone, but people were kinder to each other. So I look at, you know, teenagers now in terms of a lot of them and they, just the respect they have for people, and I don't know whether it was because of, of the Catholic Church or was it just, the, you know, of the time, but people respected each other better, and, you know, they, they maybe because of the Catholic Church, we're kind of, you know, being taught to be kind to people, and, you know, that's it, but we seem to have lost our way somewhere along the way, and I wonder, has any of that got to do with 
people no longer practicing religion or practicing Catholic religion. Or would that not be more? To, would that not be more to do with parenting? Parenting. Okay. Could be. That's a whole new kettle of issues, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. And the, the different styles of parenting now compared to years ago and what you can say and not say and everything. It's a whole new. But yeah, I, 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 I take your point. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting um, how th- times are changing anyway, Gareth. Yeah. And do you think the Catholic Church will completely disappear eventually? Um, yes, because I don't think the priests are, are going into it. Um, they're, not, they're not getting the priests. They're actually, they're, in, the, in the next couple of years, they're going to struggle um, even to get priests for weddings and stuff like that, it's all it's all changing, and and there's some lovely um, Catholic priests around. Like everything, just mm-hmm. good and bad and everything. But I think it will because there's just nobody going into it. Okay. All right, Gareth. Nice to chat to you, John. Thank, Thank you. you. That's Thank John you. Uh, from Cork City. Uh, is John John is in Mallow? No, uh, is Mary there? Hello, John. Yes, how are you? Good morning, at last. How are you? You're not too bad. Listen, I'll tell you what I'm ringing in about there is um, the amount of uh, flack that the Catholic Church is taking from the media, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the Catholic Church is getting attacked from all sides. How's that? Well, I'll, uh, 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 this morning, right, mm-hmm. in your discussion, right, with that lady, right? The, uh, she which said, which well, lady? Was sorry, to- John, which lady? Was this Vanessa or was it Joy? Uh, Vanessa. Vanessa. She said that uh, the amount of people that went to the the last uh, mass of the the Beaver Mass in Dublin, right, was down. The reason it was down is that people block booked tickets to go to it purposely, and uh, the, the spaces weren't available. So when they came to go into the thing, half the half the half the spaces were empty because the uh, people blocked the tickets and got away with it. No, the, the, the let, media didn't didn't yeah. uh, didn't concentrate on that too much, you know. Yeah, just just to re- remind people of what happened. Then that there were a number of of groups that set out to, as it were, prevent people from going exactly. to the Pope. Exactly, ma- to the Pope's that's mass. right. Yeah. And that's I, the reason that the yeah. figures were down. There was no problem filling all of those seats if uh, if the, the system wasn't interfered with, and if the people that got that done it got away with it. You know. And did you go to the second Pope's Mass, the second Mass? No, I didn't. Right. I couldn't get a ticket. Oh, and you would have gone if you'd got oh, a ticket? Oh, I certainly would have, yeah. Yeah. I free travel, you know, I wouldn't have went. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the second thing I want to, 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 to bring about is mm-hmm. that um, redress. No, if you, if you look at the first round of redress that happened, RT Prode's uh, a bloke on, on the Late Late Show, right? That's... Um, made a whole pile of allegations, right? No, he never backed them up afterwards, but he did make the allegations, right? And he kicked off the first round of redress, right? Right. No, that round of redress cost the Irish taxpayers 1.7, 1.5 billion. 200 million of that was paid to solicitors. Mm-hmm. The highest paid solicitor was paid 18.5 million and down along. The next fellow was paid 17 million, all the way down, Right. And um, the whole thing was kicked off on, 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 on an accusation. The, the, the current round that's going on at the moment, right? Mm. The modern babies' home, right? Again, 900 babies buried in a septic tank in Truman County Carver. Rubbish. Rubbish. Sorry, come back to that again, John. What, 900 babies? 
uh, buried in a septic tank in Truman County, Galway. Yes. That kicked off this round of, of uh, redress. The modern baby homes. And and what was wrong with that? Just a lie. Just, ru- just rubbish. What was rubbish? <laughs> it, it never happened. There isn't 930, whatever it is, babies in a septic tank in Truman County, Galway. It's do, not a septic do, tank. How, how do you know that? I'd read the, uh, the commission's report on it. They, 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 they put together a commission's report, and I read it. And if you look at the commission's report on it, there's a photograph on it, right, mm-hmm. of these chambers. On that photograph, there's a piece of a coffin. It's two other things, one slipper, right. uh, human bones, and animal bones. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. The only way they could have got into those chambers was they were dug up somewhere else. Right. Right? That's the real story there. And if I couldn't even tell you where they came from. So you're saying the whole thing was a hoax? The whole thing was a hoax, exactly. And it kicked off this, this uh, modern baby home thing, right? And uh, now the government are setting aside 800 million, right? Mm-hmm. To pay out on, on this, this, um, this scandal, right? And um, 800 million isn't going to, isn't going to fix it. Because when they started off with the first one, they said it was going to cost 250 million. It's costing 1.5 billion. They're starting off on this one, right? Well, so can I ask, no, can no, I I ask you a question? I'll finish the point for you there, right? Yeah. The first round of redress, they were able to take 270 million off the religious orders. Mm-hmm. If you watch what Mr. O'Gorman is doing in Dublin, he's lining up the religious orders again to pay out a huge chunk of this money. No, the Catholic Church is getting attacked. Trying to, no, the other part of it, right? Well, can I ask you a question? John, hang on a sec, just one point at a time. I've let you make your yeah. point. But can I just come back to the original question? Yeah. Are, are you therefore surprised that religion is no longer popular or regarded as as important as it was back in the 60s, the 70s, back as far as uh, you... I'm, I'm, I'm not, no, no, I'm not. You're, you're because, not surprised? No, because I'll tell you why, right? The attacks on the Catholic Church, right? Most of them are fake news. What are? Most of them are fake news. I just gave you two examples. They're completely fake news. But you see, what they do is the the, the politicians switch the people into this herd mentality. And they go on and they say, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. And uh, the people that gain out of it, actually, are the solicitors. And, um, but, but what about the mother and baby homes? Yeah. What are your views there? And I don't want to stray too far from this topic, but I, I'm, I'm just, I'm interested. You've made a number of points there. That there, there, are, there are mothers who are still looking for their children. Well, I, I, I'll tell you about that now. You see, what I'm ringing about really is what I'm annoyed about, right? Right. Is I'm a taxpayer. And if you ask me, what way do I feel about 1.5 billion being handed out under the redress, 200 million to solicitors? I'm annoyed about it. And any taxpayer to listen to this program should be annoyed about it. Well, maybe the, this, yes, but maybe the only way that 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 the victims uh, of, of of these crimes, maybe the only way that the victims well, could actually be compensated million, of, was to actually the, get in touch with their solicitor. How many? How many? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. No, they're preserved in a nutshell, right? Well, perhaps if they the, approached the, the orders the, on their own, they the, wouldn't the, have the legal system, right? Our yeah. legal system 
is is uh, is is um, running along with all of this because they're gaining millions out of it. So, what are you saying that the religious orders shouldn't be held accountable? Are you there? What I'm saying to you is this. I'm, I'm asking you a question. As, are you as, saying as, that the religious as, orders as shouldn't part, be held as accountable? Part, as part of the attack on the Catholic Church, right? The religious orders are getting drawn into it. Well, it's not an attack on the Catholic Church. As such, the it's, Catholic it's, Church it's, is, is... It's very simple. If uh, the religious orders are being drawn into it, right? And if they're trying to get the religious orders to pay for it, right? Then it's an attack on the Catholic Church. The, Catholic, the religious orders are part of the Church. Okay. Right, John, nice to talk to you. Thank you. Well, we're going to go to news very shortly. I'll give you another 30 seconds if that's okay. Well, you can ring me back afterwards, all right? Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll Bye. try and fit you in. Nice to talk to you. That's John there in uh, Mallow. We've, uh, what have we got? About four minutes to 10. Um, is Mary there? Um, I think Mary might be there. Is Mary? Sorry, uh, hello? Hi, Mary. How are you? H- hello. Listen, I'm back. I'm back on a far less. Um, I suppose, emotional talk, which is just the teaching of religion in school. Yes, and we did, we kind of veered off there. Yes, um, it, really, I just think that, you know, the woman there was talking about colouring pictures of Jesus on the cross or whatever. My children went to Catholic schools, they brought home this colouring in their alive old books or whatever. And in fairness, as a parent, it's your job. You put that in context of the time it was in and, you know, very thankfully you're also able to say that this, the happy end of the story is that he rose from the dead three days later which is also uh, you know a positive in, in, in the context of that story but talking about bringing other religions into school and teaching like I, do, I definitely don't want my five year old daughter coming home from school and knowing that there's women being st- currently being stoned in the name of religion stoned to death mm. over in countries that there's people not women not being allowed to go to school, children not being allowed any schooling. You know, people coming to this country, like, their children in enjoy ranges of freedom that they could not have in the countries that they're coming from. Mm-hmm. They are coming here. The old adage is, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And that has been the case bending over backwards and changing our beliefs and I heard that lady that you know and she was talking oh I'm not so worried about what what's happening in the next life we should concentrate on what's going on the only thing that gets some people through what they have to suffer in this life is Are the belief that there beliefs? is something better yeah. that there is something better and that is That's a very so important point. to get everybody yeah. we all just need to get one foot in front of the other every morning and do our best yeah. my children that went into religious schools that were very religious like with actual religious orders running them yeah. actively with you know pre- whatever like kind of thing had a f- had far less formal religion mm-hmm. as part of their education but came out with the most wonderful values way of living way of thinking way of treating other people an understanding of other people and compassion for other people that does cannot be got anywhere else and isn't got anywhere else because somebody who's only switching it on or whatever for half an hour and then going back to their own life isn't the same as somebody who has dedicated their lives to living in that way okay mary lovely to talk to you thank you very much
Thank you. Question for you. Can you sing our national anthem from start to finish? <clears throat> now, did you learn it in school? One Cork woman has launched a campaign to get everyone in the country to learn the lyrics of Aaron Levine, and that's Rachel J. Cooper. Morning, Rachel. Hi, good morning, Gareth. Thank you so much for having me on. Great to talk to you. Now, this whole idea came about during lockdown, and it eventually led to you setting up learnouranthem.ie, didn't it? It did indeed. So it's no secret that the majority of us here in Ireland, we don't know the words to our own national anthem. So I'm starting a nationwide campaign to raise awareness and to get families at home learning and singing Aaron Levine and also get the Irish communities involved abroad. So the initiative started with the launch of a school competition that was at um, Croke Park there on Monday. And then I'll continue to promote the anthem throughout the year and beyond St. Patrick's Day. So, like a lot of people have said, well, why this year? Like, why be promoting it in this year particular? So, I think that there's a variety of reasons why we all should know our national anthem, but I have narrowed it down to three. So, the the first one is that it's the decade of centenaries, as they say, and Mm -hmm. this year is the centenary of when our national anthem was first published, Asquelga. So originally, the anthem was written in English back in 1909, um, early 1910 by Padder Carney and Patrick Heaney. So it was originally written as the soldier song. But the chorus was then translated into Irish by Liam O'Rin and it was first published, Asquelga, in 1923. So it's the centenary of when it was first published, Asquelga. And then the second reason, Gareth, is that we we know this is a huge sporting, uh, a huge year for sporting events. Like we have the Six Nations coming up, we have GAA matches, women's football, men's rugby world cups so we want to be able to sing our anthem with pride in the crowds and not mumbling beyond the first couple of lines and then the third reason is that there's no better time to be proud of our Irish culture and our Irish language like for example on Colin Kuhn is currently placing a huge focus on our Irish language at the moment at home and abroad and we have actors with Oscar nominations it's the new bank holiday you mentioned St Bridget there so we're celebrating St. Bridget and in bulk and we're all really looking forward to this bank holiday. We've St. Patrick's Day on the horizon. So Aaron Levine is the most famous Irish song in the world and we should all know it. Like it's only 60 seconds, it's 11 lines long from start to finish. So why not get everybody on board this year and we all unite to learn it together. Can you just um, what what translate it for me in, Engl- in English the soldier's song. Can you, can you tell me the, the words? Exactly. So it's soldiers are we whose lives are pledged to Ireland. Some have come from a land beyond the wave, sworn to be free. No more our ancient Ireland shall shelter the despot or the slave. Tonight we man the barn of whale in Ireland's cause. Come woe or weal, mid cannons roar and rifles peal, we'll chant a soldier's song. And the reason it was translated into Irish was, I suppose, a, a patriotic thing, wasn't it? Well, it was. I mean, it, it, it was translated because people thought, well, look, we should be singing this in our own language. We should be singing this Asquelga. So Liam O'Rin was a translator. He was a civil servant and he translated the words as we know it. And then it was formally adopted by the Free State back in 1926. So they're, they're very moving words. And like I, I often say to people, you know, re- read the English version because it's, it's actually quite poetic. And the way that I like to teach the national anthem, Gareth, 
part. There's like some some people might come across and them and say, well, you know, they're they're quite um they might be a little bit militaristic or but they're not really all we can do is compare our national anthem to other national anthems around the world and like when we look at when a lot of national anthems were written you know countries would have been going through different struggles more than a hundred years ago so the way that we can look at those words now is to make them applicable for today's society like soldiers are we we are still soldiers it's just that what we're fighting for today is different we fight together against things like bullying and unfairness and discrimination like things that we know are wrong and you know to quote the second line there as well and the third line some have come from a land beyond the wave and that can actually be seen as our tie to people who are arriving on our shores from a land beyond the wave every day. And, you know, we, we welcome them and we, we, we want a fair Ireland for everybody living in Ireland. So I think that by bringing the words into today's society, you know, it's, it's, it's a much nicer way to learn it. And would it not be easier to learn it in English? Well, it it probably would be, but I mean, as I said, like it's only it's only sixty seconds long. Yeah. It's not that difficult to learn, and we do all have a base of Irish, uh, you know, in us somewhere. I know, like myself, I I've forgotten a lot of it, but when I went back to learn it, Asquelga, it didn't take me too long, mm. and I also learned it phonetically. So I'm working on a video tutorial as well. So the the phonetic way is the way to word to word it, in my opinion. And my book does have the phonetic version as well. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I think Bertie Ahern actually used the phonetic version, I think, a couple of times, in fact. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I remember I, I, I was chatting to him many, many years back, um, and when he, he he openly admitted that his Gaelga wasn't, uh, you know, Gaflurshock, and he said that he used to use a lot of phonetic pronunciations to help him get through, uh, you know, small pieces mm. in Irish. Uh, do you know who's on uh, line one I've got? Stay right where you are, Rachel. Ex-Lord Mayor of Cork, sure. Councillor Tony Fitzgerald. Morning to you, Tony. Good morning, Gary. Morning, Lauren. Oh, Rachel. Rachel, how are you? Good morning. Good morning to you. Now, I think about six years ago, Tony, when you were Lord Mayor of Cork, uh, you'd ask school kids to learn the national anthem. Why was it so important? Gary, uh, I suppose it goes back to some earlier conversations about being at school, but when I was in the, the North Monastery School uh, here in the north side of the city, mm-hmm. um, every morning at about five to nine, um, it the tricolour was raised in the centre of the school and all the pupils stood to attention at five to nine and the uh, the national anthem was sang by all the pupils. It was it was, you know, uh, portrayed by by uh, by loudspeaker, but we all sang it and we all got to know it. And I suppose it was the 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 where the flag is based there are uh, sixteen rose bushes um uh, around the, the the flagpole and they are dedicated to the 16 uh, volunteers of the 1916 Rising, and that was put in place by our former school master, school teacher, uh, Mr. Tom Walsh, and by his father before that, um, uh, Tussle Bernach. Um And I suppose it stuck with me for, uh, you know, is, all my is, life. Is, is that, is that um, memorial still there? It is. The flagpole is still there, but unfortunately it's not sung, it's not sung every morning now. Um but, um, it, you know, it's still a reminder uh, and, and it remained with me, you know, right throughout my life. Yeah. And so I suppose when I was honoured with wearing the chain of the Lord Mayor of Cork and in the memory of Terence McSweeney and Tomás McCartan, who were both past pupils of the North Monastery, um, I looked at a number of initiatives that were um, 
that were uh, that were there, that that I could uh, promote. And in fact, I was speaking to Paul Byrne from TV3, and he said, uh, "Look, this is something we could do." Um, and what I decided to do was before the I visited all the schools in the city, um, and as you know, the Lord Mayor visits every school in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I wrote to all the uh, schools and asked them that on the arrival of the Lord Mayor that we would all stand to attention and that we would learn uh, our own of Ian and um, that we would sing it um, uh, as part of the visit uh, to the school. And to be fair, every school did it. Every single school did it. And then I produced um, um, uh, a little uh, bookmark uh, supported by the City Council and uh, Cork uh, VEC, um, uh, which is now the ETB, which was... Um, Ted Owens was the CEO of the of the ETB at the time, uh, a former non non boy as well, and I produced this lovely bookmark. Um, I have it in my hand, and I sent it to you this morning, and um, it's a beautiful bookmark. And people still say to me uh, that they have kept it um, as a reminder. But I think Rachel's point is 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 um, is, is quite valid, and I I share the same kind of values and concern because when you do go to matches, you know, particularly just coming up to the last part of the of the of the national anthem, teams generally tend to start jumping up and down and move away and you know don't stand to attention and we all kind of yeah. you know move around and I, I if you look at other like with other um, in a number of other codes, uh, particularly other nations, they stand to attention right to the end of the last note mm. uh, of their national anthem, um, and I think um, you know that's something we should learn from and we should be more conscious of. Um, and I think the timing is, uh, is 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 quite appropriate by Rachel um, in terms of the uh, decade of centenaries and the hundred year of it being translated uh, Australia. So uh, I'm all for it, um, and uh, I think it's a great initiative, and it's just a reminder of our history and you know and how we pay respect to the flag, to the tricolour, um, you know. And I think you know um, coming up with all these new the games that are coming up and. Six Nations and you know GA and the soccer and the the, the, the ladies World Cup uh, in, in in Australia. You know it's 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 a good time. So uh, yeah. I think it's fantastic, and I would encourage everybody to uh, to get on to uh, Rachel's uh, website, learnerantum.ie, and uh, get involved in her in her pro- in our program. Well, I in- I intend to personally, Rachel, because I can hum it, but I I, I honestly I don't know the words of it. Uh, I can mime it. But I'm, I'm yeah. not sure what I'm, I'm actually singing. Can I just ask you, just in relation to the nationality and to the whole issue of of our history, and as as both of you mentioned, the centenaries of a number of events. Uh, I'm thinking of the Irish Civil War a hundred years ago. W- w- Tony, why is Irish history still not taught? in that respect. In other words, from my recollection, my history book at school was a very small one, certainly for what I called it the intercert, uh, and then the the, the leaving cert. Irish history seemed to just stop after 1916. Yeah, well, I suppose, um, you know, the curriculum needs to be revisited every, every, you know, periodically, you know, and this is something I'd be delighted to take up with Minister Norma Foley on this. But I suppose it's, it's all about, it's all about our national identity, it's it's all about where we come from, what we stand for, um, and remembering our past, but mm. also giving the new generation something to be very proud of. But I'm just and wondering, is there an issue here, and, and, you know, this is the kind of the elephant in the room as far as I'm concerned, yeah. is there an issue here with the whole IRA ethos? 
Well, look, we all have different opinions of the past, you know, um, and, you know, we all we are all Republicans and we've all, you know, identified what we what we believe happened in the past and what was right and what was wrong. But I think, you know, where where we are today is mm. is about, you know, standing tall in, in terms of what we the Irish are. We're, we're a nation of, of, of hospitality. We're a nation of supporting other nations. Uh, you know, looking at the Ukraine crisis at the minute, like, you know, people do uh, have understand our past. You know, we have a lot of people uh, who emigrated and went to places like New York and Boston and, um, you know, Manchester, Leeds, you know, right But I'm, I'm com- just come back to the, the history curriculum in schools at yeah. the moment. There's no reference to, to, you know, anything in the 1970s, anything in the 1960s. Uh, you know the fifties, in relation to the division caused by you know sectarianism, and the fact that paramilitary organisations, which met, I know certainly in the north, they've been there for hundreds of years. But once again, the minute the provisional IRA is mentioned, the history book closes. Well, I suppose like it's an, it, look the, the I'll I'll leave that here to the to the educational academics in terms of how, what they believe, you know, should be kind of put into the curriculum. But I suppose if, let's look at the Good Friday Agreement and the, the, the you know, the commemorations of that and the, 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 the uniqueness of it and the input into it and of all parties coming together, you know, uh, for peace in Northern Ireland and in, in, our, in our country. Um, and we, we have very strong relations uh, here in Cork. Uh, with 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 with, with uh, groups and different national different uh, religious uh, um, um, uh, beliefs in in the north. You know, we have the Lagan to the Lee project mm-hmm. that was here. You know, uh, which they, and, they can't uh, they, they can't even talk to each other at this stage in the north, Tony. I, I well, you know, the politicians need just to you know get yeah. themselves together and, uh, and 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 address that issue, but. I, I, I'm hopeful that the you know the commemoration of the Good Friday Agreement and what was achieved there. Uh, will be a springboard to, to to put that back in place. But coming back to the original um, discussion this morning, you know, it's it, it's timely that um, you know um, mm. that we 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 celebrate and we learn Asgaelga August Asgaelga around the And I think uh, now is the best. That was an opportunity to do that. And I am absolutely delighted with Rachel's initiative. And um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll share on your website there my my bookmark on on this, and um, offer every support I can to Rachel in, in promoting this. Rachel, it's fair to say oh. there's a, there's a whole generation there that doesn't know anything about the history to the national anthem. Isn't that true? Yes, there is. And I mean, in my opinion, I think that we need to approach this in schools a little bit better than what's going on right now. So I believe that around St. Patrick's Day, the national anthem is kind of dust down and a black and white copy is handed out to the school, to the school kids to learn. But I mean, we need to be more um, engaging with the children and we need to make it a little bit more fun. And, you know, I mean, the, the book is one way definitely to teach them. It's the only book that's out there. So I would love to see this, this book getting into schools. Like it's colourful, there's bright language, it's it, there's a quiz and a word search and everything. So that would be the first thing. Now, I, I don't personally think that, you know, every morning singing national anthem before assembly. Now, I know a lot, a lot of a lot of schools do this worldwide and, you know, the, it was done years ago. But may, maybe this is a little bit too much to ask the kids. But, you know, what about maybe once a week or once a month the anthem is sung? Um, and it, it, it would just kind of, I think, the, the, the kids would be more inclined to learn it then for the rest of their lives. So when we come 
into our adult life. You know, we, we aren't in a situation when we're attending a football match or a rugby match and none of us know the words. Like, it's really obvious. And that is the inspiration behind me writing the book and to get involved with this campaign and to promote the awareness. And I mean, Gareth, it, it, it's lovely. And I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that the, the two of you are, are so supportive. And I thank you for that because mm. it's the majority of people. So from all the hundreds and hundreds of comments that I get on either social media or be it via emails to me, it, it is really positive. People do want this. They want to know about our anthem. They want to be able to learn how to sing it. So you will always get negative comments saying, oh, well, our national anthem, it's, it's a bit naturalistic or it's mm. a bit militaristic. But it, it's part of our cultural identity. It's part of who we are. And there's no shame in wanting to know our national anthem. And the support, as I said, has just been phenomenal. So like my next steps now, the GAA, as I said, have been so supportive and so kind. They think this is a great initiative. Yeah. I will also be approaching the FAI and the IRFU because, I mean, sporting events, it, our, our national anthem, it, it is more than just sporting events. However, sporting events are a great platform to raise awareness and to get everybody involved. And next week, I'll also be going out to the Irish diaspora because the Irish diaspora publications are already picking up on this campaign at home. So it's just off to such a, a wonderful success. And I'm so delighted because our anthem deserves more recognition than what we are giving it. Well, do you know, I, uh, this is just a personal memory. I'll never forget it. I sat uh, two rows from the side of the pitch in Crow Park many years back. I can't think exactly the year when Kildare mm. and Kerry took on each other in the quarterfinal uh, in Gaelic football. And to hear a full stadium in Crow Park, there wasn't a seat to be had and everybody sang the national anthem. It was extraordinary. Mm. It made the hairs on, yes. you know, the back of my neck stand up. It was it amazing. With, yeah. with, yes, it would. It would. And, and, and sporting matches are, are a great, you know, a great way. And I mean, I, I think there's well, like there is controversy as well surrounding, you know, Ireland's call and it being sung at, at rugby matches. So like my personal opinion about that is that politics shouldn't really, in my opinion, come into sport at all. You know, if you, if you represent your country, you should know your national anthem. Mm. So that, that, that would be my opinion about anybody who asks that. That question. Mm. Great to talk to you, Rachel Cooper. Thanks for joining us, and ex-Lord Mayor Councillor Tony Fitzgerald. Lovely to chat to you, Tony. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Gareth. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you very much. You can get in touch with us WhatsApp oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six and your email. Uh, please send them to opinion at uh, 96fm.ie. We're going to return to the calls on religion uh, that kicked off the show this morning. A lot of listeners are quite annoyed with John's comments on the tomb babies, uh, so that'll be a little bit later on during the programme. Now, Ariana Dunn worked in PR for many years before she suffered what she describes as burnout, and it prompted her to completely reevaluate her life, and she decided to solo travel around Europe, which sounds like a dream come true. She's also back from that incredible journey. She's a journalist, she's a celebrant, and she's a life coach, and she joins me now. Morning, uh, Ariana. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm great, and how could I not be great? Looking out the window this beautiful spring morning, it's wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely, and a lovely St. Bridget's weekend as well, yeah, so yeah. lots to celebrate. <laughs> Tell me about the burnout. This is something that fascinates me because... Um, a Apparently, a lot of there are there are a lot of different groups that will say burnout is different to depression. 
Mm. Absolutely, it is. Burnout is a is basically it's a form of work related stress. Um, and essentially, what happens when you are in a state of burnout is you are overworked and you basically start to kind of lose all interest, all passion. You start to become quite numb to work. You really become quite um, sort of you, you zone out. I yeah. suppose apathetic. And you I suppose, lose all really, of your yeah. passion. Absolutely apathetic and. And, you know, you go through the motions. For me, I was working, um, I was sort of at the height of my career, working for a very busy publishing company, working, you know, 14, 15 hour days and being sort of all consumed by work. And what happens is you start to neglect other areas of your life and it comes a point where it reach, reaches a pinnacle, which is which is burnout. And, um, and it's very, very common, particularly now in a post-COVID world where a lot of people were working a lot and not really knowing how to sort of separate their work from their home life. A lot of people were working at home as well. Um, so even when you're taking a break from your work in your home, you're probably going in and emptying mm. the dishwasher or yeah. doing something around the house. So um, so burnout and obviously Jacinda Ardern, who, you know, who, who recently um, resigned as, uh, as uh, Prime Minister over New Zealand, talked about that sort of her tank was uh, empty. not being was empty exactly yeah. and that's what it feels it just feels a bit you just feel a bit empty um from a work perspective yeah i think she was also a little bit daunted by the prospects of the fact that she dropped in popularity but that would also cause a lot of stress <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, an, an incredible stressful job that she was in. Yeah. But I think, you know, a lot of people think that you have to be in a really, really busy or really successful job. I think, you know, actually, the, the studies show that a lot of people in their late 20s to early 30s suffer burnout more than, 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 than people who are in their careers longer, because I suppose a lot of them are striving for excellence yeah. and perfection and, you know, trying to prove themselves all the time. And, and I think that can sometimes lead that, that. That led to the great resignation resignation as it's become known in the United States, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of people, I'm a life coach now. I, I reassessed. I did a great resignation, I suppose, five years <laughs> ago. And I um, I kind of was a bit of ahead of that curve. But I, mm. I sort of reassessed what I wanted to do and realized that, you know, working in a corporate environment to that level of stress was not something that I really wanted to do and and that's why I went and retrained and I think a lot of people during COVID sort of you know maybe went on furlough or just started to reassess their their lives and kind of seeing what different things that they could do particularly with working from home and how working from home made lots of different things much more accessible for people. And there's nothing like personal experience when you transform into that role of a coach or a, a, a therapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, and I suppose just to sort of to, to differentiate, you know, coaching is, is not therapy. That's it's, what I was um, going to ask you. Can you tell me the difference? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I teach coaching where I trained as a coach. I now teach coaching in a mm -hmm. place called Mindstream. So I, I, I teach certificates and diplomas. So a big thing that we were always teaching our students is to be able to know the difference. So therapy is usually a doctor patient relationship. It's usually where, where the person is maybe in a vulnerable position, maybe dealing with trauma and it's dealing with the past um, and sort of what led to today where coaching is a relationship between the coach and the client. It's um, essentially looking at the future it's looking at goal setting manifesting it's forward focused so it's working collaboratively with your client to help them achieve their goals overcome obstacles and put plans and strategies in place for them to be able to fulfill the goals and the aspirations that they have for their life in the future essentially so, you, so it's very yeah. positive 
and before that then you decided to take off literally and to travel around Europe was that a plan you had or was it just something that you said I've got to do this I've got to get out yeah so obviously like I say five years ago after the burnout I reassessed and I decided you know I I wanted to retrain as a coach I wanted to help people I also retrained as a celebrant because I love riding and I love you know um romance and and happiness and all of those lovely things what was that like we'll come back to Europe in a minute what 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 was the whole training and the draw to being a celebrant for you yeah so for me because I as I, I worked in publishing advertising we're for big publishing companies for 16 18 years working in advertising working in sales which was great and it was a credible career and I, I loved it um, but I got to that point where I was just thinking I want to actually do things that use all of my different skills and I think that's what's a really nice thing that I'm finding out with my coaching clients they're coming to me saying I'm really good at this this and this but my boss keeps telling me to just do this one thing you know yeah, and yeah. I think um, so for me I I wanted to re, you know redescribe my passions after the burnout and I realized you know I, I had loved writing I had loved creativity I loved um, psychology I loved helping people so the the, the, the coaching was, was was one area but then the celebrancy was another area because um, I get to write and perform weddings for people baby naming ceremonies which I suppose is an alternative to a christening um, and you know memorial services those kinds of things vow renewals it's a very happy life affirming stuff so everything that I do is all about helping people to have better happier occasions and 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 lives really which is a a real privilege and a joy to be able to to make money from and just talking to you i get the feeling that like running along as a kind of a foundation to your entire life right now is is this whole idea of emotional intelligence and teaching people how to understand their feelings absolutely yeah a hundred percent um i think you know particularly uh, with 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 coaching, um, what what I'm able to do is is try to work with people who have maybe sort of lost themselves a little bit. So sometimes people will come and say, you know, I'm stuck in a bit of a rut, and I don't really know where my life is going or what I'm doing, and I'm kind of just going through the motions. And so you know, what I often do is work with that person to kind of like ask them what it is that they want to do, what it is that they love, what are they passionate about, what are the things that they're really good at, and it's helping to uncover all of those things, which often can get lost in a society which is often just very very busy and going through the motions and we're obviously worrying about the cost of living and I you know I'm completely aware of that as well but I do truly believe that it is possible to earn money doing things that you love to do as opposed to earning money doing things that you really hate doing <laughs> you know if, 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 if those things can be done um, with the right kind of guidance I think. Where was your favorite place in Europe? Yeah, so I suppose what happened with with me was that I was working for myself and then with COVID, all of my work went remote. So I was teaching, lecturing, all my celebrancy business obviously went on hold because the weddings were stopped. And I decided, you know, wow, this is amazing. I My work is is possible, but just to still be remote. I live in Lucan and I was looking out my window every day at my neighbor's pigeon coop. And I was yeah. thinking, I want to travel. I want to get away, um, you know, but the restrictions, our wings were clipped. We couldn't go anywhere. But it made me really have this desire to just go and travel and, and, and see more of Europe. So um, I'm, I'm single. I'm, I have no children. And I had this incredible opportunity to take, to take my little dog, mm-hmm. Molly, and pack up my car and um, and just... Just, you know, as soon as I could in February last year, um, I, 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 I drove to Europe. So um, I stayed in Paris for a month. I lived in Spain for three months, Italy for three months. I spent some time in Portugal, Croatia um, and just drove 30,000 kilometers around Europe 
um, and stayed in Airbnbs, which were really cost effective, actually, in comparison to the yeah. price of, of living in Ireland. Um, but I had a, a, a wonderful time meeting meeting new people and experiencing new things. Some of the most beautiful places that I'd been to were the likes of Lake Bled in Slovenia, Lake Como in Italy, um, Lisbon and Seville were beautiful cities. So, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful, beautiful places to see out there and, and you know, so accessible that if you are someone who is working from home now and, and you know, has the ability to maybe travel and work remotely and do solo solo travel as you know i think as a woman people sometimes can be a little bit afraid of that um but i found it to be an amazing experience and nothing to be fearful of at all exhilarating one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com it's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss absolutely yeah absolutely and now very I, freeing. I, I know you're going to be traveling the 32 counties here at home um and by the way you're you're living in lucan just for those who don't know lucan's on the sort of western outskirts of dublin city and yeah. um we're, uh, you're going to be writing about you're traveling the 32 counties in irish country magazine so we'll catch up with you again later in the year pj uh will be chatting to you uh, so we can tell you then what spots to hit in Cork would you get here. Yeah, okay? absolutely. That would be fantastic. Ireland, I'm very happy to be home. I think after traveling Europe, I'm, you know, I know that Ireland is a beautiful place, so I really want to try and light up my Google Maps with um, a 32-county quest this year. I work for, for Irish Country Magazine part-time. I have a life coaching column, and I write travel in there as well. It's a, it's a, we actually have a famous Corkonian on the cover of the next issue as well, which I won't give away too much information about, but um, it's going to be a lovely issue and lots of lovely um, Cork fe- featuring in it as well. So, um, so yes, I would love to come back on and get some tips from the listeners about where to visit when I come down to Cork in, well, in March. It'd be fabulous. You, you want to take plenty of time, okay? Because there are a lot of places <laughs> that you're going to be recommended. Ariana, lovely to chat to you. The website is Ariana Dunn. That's A-R-I-A-N-A-D-U-N-N-E. ArianaDunn.com. Great to chat to you this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You're listening to The Opinion Line here on Cork's 96FM. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ Coogan for the next couple of days. Lovely to hear from so many of you on WhatsApp and emails and uh, the old bog-standard texts as well this morning. The number 083 96 96.
Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork's 96 FM. Live is a different experience with every performance at over 60 Arts Council funded venues across Ireland. Experience live performance in your area. Book that ticket today. Hashtag Live is funded by the Arts Council. When you speed on the average journey, you save just 68 seconds. That's just around the time it takes to make a protein shake. Speed by 10 kilometers per hour on an 80 kilometer per hour road and you might gain a minute. But you could lose your license or so much more. Speeding. It's just not worth it. Slow down, stay safe, obey the speed limit. A message from the Road Safety Authority and Angarda Siakana. Visit rsa.ie. Have you checked out the Casey's Furniture Winter Sale? Up to 60% off all departments, including living, dining, bedroom furniture, flooring and accessories. Large selection of quality furniture in stock and ready for nationwide delivery. Casey's Furniture, 100 years in business. Shop in store in Cork and Limerick and online at caseys.ie. A dream couple. A dream place. And... Nightmare wedding. Till death. Nobody. With my family. Do them part. Are you dead? We're gonna fix it. Shotgun wedding. The new action romantic comedy starring Jennifer Lopez. Give me the grenade, sir. And Josh Demel. Watch now. Only on Prime Video, included with Prime. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Good morning to you. It's Gareth O'Callaghan for PJ today and tomorrow. Uh, if you're just wondering what time it is, it's just gone quarter to 11. Siobhan has contacted the show as she finds herself in what I can only describe as a terrible situation. She's had to quit her job to mind her mother. Good morning to you, Siobhan. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. I'm I'm very well, and I would imagine you're exhausted. Yes, absolutely drained, mentally and physically. And and just to say, I, I haven't quit my job. They're, they're holding it open for me for the moment. Thankfully. That's yes, great. Yes, But there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, no. really, in terms of where you are now. Tell me about your, your mother. Um, my mother has dementia. She's had it a number of years now, and... It tends to be fine for two or three years, and then all of a sudden, bang. Then it's fine again for two or three years, then bang. You know, it's just deterioration. Obviously, COVID and the lockdowns did an awful lot of damage and accelerated it a lot. So, like, she's only 78, um, and she was a very active woman. So, uh, on the, oh, I want to say the second week of December, um, she was forgetting to drink. And unfortunately, she got dehydrated, so she was taken to the CUH by ambulance. We weren't allowed to go with her. And we went up later that evening, and she was in a ward called GEMS, where they were looking after her, and they had her on the drip, and she was starting to come around. Then after about a week, they moved her up to an oncology ward where they had a spare bed. So, um, you know, this is nothing to do with the staff. The staff are run off their feet. They just don't have the staff. You know, an oncology ward is for people that are very sick with cancer. 
And the last thing they need is somebody that's mentally confused, walking around, getting upset, looking to go home, packing her bag, won't eat. One person is putting the food in front of her. Another person is taking it away. There was three days in her food diary where there was nothing entered. She was sitting in her own dirt. I'm sorry, though. It's just no way to see her mother. And and clearly when she went to hospital, this was another period where the dementia returned. Yes, it seemed to get worse because she was kind of sitting a lot. It's kind of okay Monday to Thursday because they're doing physiotherapy and things and, you know, there seems to be plenty of staff around. But at weekends, then you're kind of just left there. Yeah. They don't have people. Um, you know, uh, she was getting worse and worse. She was losing a rapid amount of weight, which was making her more confused and more, you know, feeble. She walked into the ambulance. I brought her home in a wheelchair. Yeah. So I took her out because she had been medically discharged on the Friday. But the home care package team, the lady that coordinates that had been out sick and she was backlogged. So they asked us to stay in for the weekend while she caught up. So we put down a terrible weekend. My mother was extremely distressed. She thought we'd left her there. Were you allowed in to see her at all? Oh, yes, we were, but one at a time, you know. So my father's 80, I'd have to put him in. I'd have to go out and sit in the car, come in, put him back out in the car, come back in and sit with my mother. And she had no concept of time and she didn't know whether we were there that day or not, you know. Oh, my goodness. So, um... It's worth mentioning, as you said, I actually spent two weeks over Christmas and New Year in CUH and the staff are wonderful, but the problem is... They can't get staff. They can't. Yeah. No, they can't. And it's very unfair on an oncology nurse to be putting somebody with dementia yeah. who needs a lot of care and attention. But it was the patients in the ward were telling me that she wasn't eating and that she wasn't drinking. So the Monday came and the discharge team came around and they still had no update for me. So I decided to take her home. So I took her home. And they sent out the outreach team to the house, which were fantastic ladies, absolutely stunning. They got us through Christmas and early New Year, but because my mother can't take instruction, they can't do physio, so then they had to be removed. Right. Because one goes hand in hand with the other. We were assessed by St. Finbars, assessed by the CUH, we were assessed by the district nurse, and we're classed as urgent for a carer. But, but there's no carer coming. And, and, and you can't get on the HSE waiting list? No. Um, why the poor is that? lady, The poor lady down at Black Rock Medical Hall where they supply the carers. Yeah. Um, I don't know how she does her job. She's a lovely lady. She can't give me any information at all other than the lady that coordinated the home care um, packages retired late last summer and she hasn't been replaced. There's 80 people in Ballinlock currently on the waiting list for carers. God knows how many are on the waiting list to get assessed to get carers. And now because of the crisis with beds in the hospitals and because of the waiting list here, you can't get private health care carers either because the HSE has hoovered them all up. So, so th- see, this, I, I believe this is the area within the HSE where a lot of the problems exist. Yes. It's not on the front line. It's, it's somewhere in the middle where it, it would strike me as being probably expedient and pretty easy just to move a coordinator from another area to clear the issues exactly. in Ballinlock. and clear the backlog. Yeah. You know, get them on the assessment. Have I, you asked them what, if, why they can't do that? They can't give me answers. I've asked Michal Martin's office. He's completely ignored me. Donnacha O'Leary, in fairness, they contacted me back. They are taking it to the minister. Right. So I'm waiting to hear back from them. Um, God love us, the private care su- suppliers are flat out. 
the demand is so big. I'm being told it's we're not taking any more clients in your area. It's a very elderly population in Ballinlock. Hello, he built the estates. He knew this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm working seven days a week here now with my mother. I'm not qualified. I'm doing the best I can. I'm here every morning, every evening, and every night. Seven days. Nobody's paying me. My income has gone overnight. If she gets worse, am I going to be able to cope? Is there any respite? Well, respite works where it's wherever they have a space in a nursing home. And you send her to the nursing home. It could be Mallow. It could be wherever they have a gap. But, like, again, I'm going to have to take my father up and down there. Yes. So... That's not respite. And is there any family there that, that, that can support you, Siobhan? Not really. Um, Gareth, my brother works nights, so he's in bed most of the days. He, he does do the dinners. Yeah. You know, my poor father is 80. He needs a hip. He can't get it. He's now stuck in the chair 24-7 because she has to be supervised. And he's now, his health is suffering. I'm waiting for physio now at home for him. You know, it's just absolutely nuts. It's it's neglect of the highest I was degree. just going to say that this strikes me as a classic example of neglect where no one wants to take ownership no, of the problem that of, you have. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a daughter there. That's that box ticked. Yeah. If I was working seven days a week as a carer for the HSC with no holidays and no breaks, I could take them to court. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. It's like an episode of the Muppets. I'm looking at them up in the doll and all they're talking about is who told the biggest lie. Good God almighty, like... posters. This Uh, is it, like, uh, you know, would people just stop voting these people in? Can you just explain to me, what is it like to be on your own looking after someone with dementia 24-7? It's actually petrifying because, like, my mother's great. I love my mother. She's no trouble. But I'm petrified. I'm going to get sick. What happens then? Yeah. Who who looks after her? Do you know what I mean? It's, It's wrong. This is third world healthcare. Absolutely despicable way to treat an elderly person. It's horrendous. And does she she knows who you are? She does at the moment, yeah, but she has trouble verbalizing, so the way it was explained to me by the Alzheimer's Association who are trying to help me as well. Um she thinks she's saying back a sentence when you ask her something, but you might only get no. Yeah. And no could mean yes. And uh, 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 a, a doctor I know well who works with patients with dementia, one of the points he always makes is that they may not be coherent, but they will always know the love you have for them. Absolutely. And God love her, the anxiety when she's not at home. She's just petrified. Yeah. Petrified. She's inside now. She's after gaining weight. St. Fembers are delighted with her. They're a fantastic facility out there. They are. They're a godsend. But they they need to give them more resources. You know, St. Fembers is a big site. Could the elderly not go there for their A&E? My mother just needed a drip and she could have came home that night. Well, I, I know, and I, you're absolutely right. It's a huge site. And uh, that's, of course, yeah. where the, the blood donation clinic is. And and, um, and all the diagnostics are there. You yeah, know, yeah. it makes no sense to me and it takes the elderly out of the ED. I mean, they're on about giving more people free GPs now. You're currently waiting a minimum of two weeks to see a GP. Isn't this a classic case that, uh, you know, in in so many ways, and I've found it, that your mother has become a burden? But this is it, like, how dare they treat my mother like that? Yes, I agree with you. How dare you? Yeah. This is third world stuff. I mean, it's ridiculous. Where's the money going? 
They need to get rid of a few of the suits. It's just not working. Mm. I mean, an administrator kept my mother in hospital for a weekend and stressed her out because she was out sick. Now the girl is entitled to be sick. But could her manager not do her job? Yeah. I, I, what's your mother's name, by the way? My Siobhan? mother's Janet. Janet. Okay, well, look, I, I, I wish you and Janet the best. We'll, we're going to get on to Donica O'Leary, Sinn Féin's Donica O'Leary, uh, just to see how things are progressing there thank for you. you, okay? Thank you. And hopefully we'll have an answer for you very soon, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Garrett, and hopefully thanks, Beamer, as well. Yeah, hopefully we'll be chatting to you again soon on a more favourable note. Please, hopefully. God. Hopefully. Okay. Thank you. PJ on a break for the first bank holiday ever in February. He'll be back with you on Tuesday. This is Gareth O'Callaghan here with you on the opinion line today and tomorrow. Now, if you were listening earlier on this morning, John from Mallow made some comments on the tune, Babies, uh, saying it was, in his words, a hoax. Um, and uh, Tilly wanted to make a quick comment on this morning to you, Tilly. Hi, guys. How are things? Things are good. Uh, I'm not surprised you're upset. Oh, it's disgusting. Um, I just couldn't believe it. I was actually shocked when he stated his opinion, like... Um, like there's one thing having an opinion but then to state that these babies deaths were a hoax and that these poor the families that were involved in it their heartbreak is a hoax it's just I'm actually shocked like it's people like him now that make give a bad name to the Catholic Church like and it's just disgusting it's just the height of disrespect to state that over reading some piece of paper that stated otherwise like I'm just he's a langer like I'm sorry now for my language but I believe I, be, I believe that word is is a uh, is very high up on the, uh, the the list of of words here in Cork that's used to, as it were, describe someone who doesn't actually uh, respect. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. He's just I just think the height of disrespect to come on a national radio station and state that heart, this heartbreaking thing that happened is a hoax. It's disgusting. Yeah, like. He's no morals. He states that he was with the Catholic Church and like that. But you're taught when you're young in a Catholic Church to have morals. He's got no morals if he thinks that that's a hoax. What about the Christian brother homes? Does he think that's a hoax? Mm. Like, I'm absolutely disgusted. And I'm, it's actually scary to think that there's probably other people out there that have the same mind frame mindset as him. Like, it's yeah. Well, and we're only a stone's throw from Besborough here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, how are, how, how are all these people that have come out telling their stories, which is a heart, heartbreaking thing and a really hard thing to state, you know, to come out with a story like that mm. and for them to turn around and say that it's a hoax. All those babies that died, it's a hoax. It's not true. It's lies. It's it's disgusting. Did you did you read Catherine Corliss's book? I didn't know. To be honest now, I know enough about the, yeah. the babies in tune, but I just found it so heartbreaking that I kind of stopped reading the articles because it was just too distressing to read. Yeah. Um, I do obviously know what went on and I know the ins and outs of it, but I wouldn't be completely informative about mm. it. But well, I know John is still listening and he has made yeah. an effort to get back on to qualify a couple of things he wanted to tell us about. But I would recommend, John, if you're listening, uh, get hold of Catherine Corliss's book uh, and you'll probably, hopefully then, understand why she was made uh, Person of the Year. Tilly, lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Thanks, bye-bye. Now to lighter matters. The Opera House will welcome back Ireland's most successful and funniest impressionist and satirist, Mario Rosenstock, in March. He's celebrating his famous gift grub with a brand spanking new stage show and he joins me on the line now. Morning, Mario. 
Gareth, good morning to you. And what a pleasure it is after all these years to finally um, talk to you. And great to hear you so hail and hearty. Thank you. And as our old friend Gay Byrne would have said, what a wonderful voice you have. <laughs> the old Rolls Royce, mellifluous, chocolatey, avuncular tones of one Gaza O'Callaghan. Well done, Sonny. <laughs> Up the yard. Congratulations to you. And lovely, lovely, lovely to hear the word langer being used <laughs> in, its, in its native form. All of us up in Dublin, we try to use the word langer. It doesn't come out the same. It's only good when a cork woman uses it. Langer! <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wonderful to hear you, my friend. You are a ledge bag of broadcasting. Thank I you. follow you all over, whether you're working for Lithuania FM, Classic <laughs> Hits FM, Cork 96 FM. You are all over the place. You are broadcasting simultaneously and sycophantically and sympathetically, don't you know, to everybody in the universe at the same time. It's Gareth O'Callaghan's world. We are all just living in it. Thank you, you legend, you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? How have you been? I mean, I, I, I hear you on and off. And um, yes, uh, I, I've obviously people thought I was actually recuperating over the last few years. I was working for Skellig's FM, uh, which was yeah. a, a lonely job. But tell me, yeah. what, what a, when you put a new show together, do you retire away into the back bedroom and just lock the door and get, get stuck into it looking at the mirror? No, I don't. I don't. I'm not one of those reclusive writers. And uh, But it's an interesting question, Gareth. Yeah, no, what I do is I get out into the world and I get into taxis and I start listening to what people are talking about. And I go to shows and I turn on the radio and I turn on the radio in England and Dublin and Ireland. And I start reading newspapers and I go into rooms with Ian Dempsey. And <laughs> I, I, on your I own with him, yeah. With, I go into rooms with Ian Dempsey bedrooms and we order room service for a weekend and we have a filthy dirty weekend of comedy together and um, what I, basically the way it works is Gareth and I'm sure you're aware of this because I know you have a little bit of a comic background yourself and uh, for those of you listening in Cork I'm old enough to remember Gareth's brilliant skits on 2FM oh, okay. um, the, 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 the calls the and all that calls, sort of yeah. stuff and, and, and I remember you had real real sense of mischief and um, so I would basically go into a room with Ian and I would say to Ian, what about if Miriam came out and did this? And he would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about if she didn't come out? What about if it was uh, somebody else? And then Ian is a great judge of going, kind of knowing mm. what the audience might like to see me doing. You know, because when, yeah. when you're so close to it yourself, sometimes you're too close to it and you don't know like what the audience might like. But Ian can step back from it and he has a great, he's always been a great judge of his audience and that's testament to how long he's been in the business. A bit like yourself, my friend. Uh, <laughs> but there we go. But he, he, we all, he always was like that, even on the den. You remember those days as well. I mean, he knew what worked and they, you know, that's, I've, I've always said that about Ian having worked with him for so long and then having yeah, gone, up, he, gone, gone up against him in competition when he went to uh, his current uh, institution and I was, yeah. I was picked for the breakfast show on 2FM and yeah. uh, I thought, God, I don't want to fall out with a great friend here. But we settled yeah, but see, with Gareth, half the, the audience was, each. You see, when pe one problem was when people were listening to you on the breakfast show, they thought they were seven hours late for work. <laughs> so it was never going to work, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I've lost my bleeding job. It's Gareth O'Callaghan on the radio. <laughs> so, like, you no know, wonder. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, with Ian, he's just stayed in the same place the whole time. And, and the thing about Ian is people always ask me about Ian. And, and like, he, 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 he has he is not what you would call, let's say, an outwardly uh, on the surface funny person. Yeah. But he has a superb sense of humor. 
an absolutely razor sharp sense of humor. And uh, and that's what I tap into. He loves humor. He loves yeah. comedy. And he loves all types of comedy from the broad sort of slapstick comedy to more more nuanced comedy. So he'd love anything from, let's say, Morecambe and Wise to Larry Sanders to, you know, any of that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, you know. You I, There are many reasons why you love Cork. You went to school here, didn't you? Yes. That, I mean, uh, I know it sounds like a truism and it sounds, you know, fatuous sometimes to say, hey, where's my next interview? Yeah, I love uh, Tor McKeady, but it's not really that, it's not really like that, Gareth. I have a very, very, I have an almost emotional relationship with Cork and that's because I came to school in Cork when I was 14, just as my old hormones were changing and just uh, when I was beginning to realise <laughs> that there were things like romance and girls and all that. So basically, some of my formative years were spent in Cork from 14 to 18. I fell in love for the first time. I fell in love with drama, fell in love with acting. I went to Ashton um, in Black Rock and... I had a teacher there called Stephen Daunt and he was my English teacher and it was just a total cliche. It was like um, Robin Williams in Dead Poets Society. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and I remember him just taking me aside one day and he went, um, you know, I think you could you could possibly, you know, and he's giving you that look about mm-hmm. where he's kind of, you're kind of looking in his eyes and you kind of know, he means this. And I sort of took drama very seriously then and I started doing acting and I did a lot of acting and I've done a lot of acting and then I kind of, reverse engineered into the whole comedy thing but for me comedy is acting it's it's all characters it's all characterization it's all inhabiting um uh, another person's essence and if that means putting on their voice and looking like them then i can do that as well mm. That's, it's amazing so i loved right? it i loved cork I, yeah. I i loved cork and to that extent i mean i do i do so many cork characters i mean i'm from waterford so oh, i didn't know that I do, I... So, yeah i'm from waterford but um, oh, here's a warm boy. Do you want, do you want to talk war boy, do you? I was one of the first people, boy, to do the Waterford accent on the radio. Do you know what I'm saying? It's very guttural. It's very guttural now, Garrett. You know what I'm saying, boy? You go to Bally Truckle there and you get yourself uh, a one-on-one boy there. And I tell you, do you want to talk war boy? I tell you, do you want to kick in the hole, boy, do you? Uh, and so, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like their names and everything. Butler is the bootlayer. And yeah. the bootlayer, of course, would come from France. And, of course, the French, there, there, there. <laughs> and um, blah even in, 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 in French is, is a loose translation for white bread and right. uh, so even the word blah comes from French but like anyway, so I come from Waterford but I, I can I ask Cork, you what, uh, what's the literal meaning of, of Dacia no idea right, okay. <laughs> they, they, they have that expression up to Dacia yeah, they do. Yeah, Adacia, as far as I know, the Adacia is a kind of a uh, either an Irish or Irish, or an Gaelic or Gaelic stroke Norman um, uh, ascription for for Waterford. But I really don't know, so I, I'm talking through my arse. <laughs> but listen, uh, um, Garrett, what never I let to the truth get in the way of a good talk, story. Right? Yeah, not at all. Just keep talking. Keep on going, Sonny. Don't let them get you down. And um, what I was going to say, Garrett, was that uh, yeah, Cork. You see, so I came to Cork. And I, did, I ended up doing so many Cork characters that I actually started filing my Cork characters according to the school they went to. Wow. So, yeah, so like I would start doing um, 
Uh, well, going forward, bring me home, I remember that I, I would go to Cluster Crease 3, and I remember all my teachers in Cluster Crease 3 going forward, going sideways, going backwards, <laughs> going around the place, going around in circles. Uh, you know, we, we're turning the corner now. Uh, we're turning the corner so many times. Uh, we're going around in circles to Cluster Crease 3. Uh, then I would look at somebody else, like, um, you know, a credit to May, May, Mayfield Community School at the end of the day. Roy Keane went there. Credit to Conkers. Um, you know, it's absolutely brilliant to spend your juvenile years there. Or um, Northman. Matt Cooper went to Northman. So Matt Cooper went to Northman and he became a hard man in Northman. George Hook went to press. And that's where they learn to say it like it is, Garrett. Testicles. Can I say testicles on 96 FM? <laughs> Ronan O'Gara. Ronan O'Gara went to Prez as well, although he sounds totally different to George Hook. Ronan O'Gara was nearly picked as the English coach this year before the Six Nations, which would have been, you know, incredible, Gareth, just to hearing Ronan O'Gara singing Swing Low, Sweet Charia. John Spillan, John Spillan, I'm brilliant. Gareth O'Callaghan is brilliant. He's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant broadcaster. But I went to Kalosh, the spirit name, and I'm even more brilliant. Oh, Gareth O'Callaghan, the madman on the radio. He's in place of PJ Coogan, who's gone off on his holidays to Mallorca. <laughs> then there was John Creedon, don't you know? John Creedon of the other mellifluous voice. <laughs> Here is blind boy Willie McFadden, big boots, black man, conquers, singing North Mon history. Brendan O'Connor went to Spirit Nave. How's your mental health, Garrett? <laughs> it's I good, it's intact. <laughs> Tell us about your salpidine addiction, Garrett. I hear you're addicted to salpidine. Sort 49 salpidine a day. That must be crucifying. Um, and then, of course, man, Timmy and James Leonard, two, the two Norries. The two Norries. I love the two Norries. The Norries, they always talk about their background and how difficult their background was, Garrett. And they went to Nottingham School. They had a tough time, Garrett, but they eventually bailed their way out of it. And now they help other people through therapy to get through their tough time. So, Garrett, would you like to sit down with me and we could talk about your mental health problem, you know? So, you see, and then, of course, Mario Rosenstock went to Ashton. And that basically finishes it off. That's Brilliant! That is fantastic, and and that's according to uh, like that that litany is is based on a kind of chronology of where each of them went to school. Yeah, it's in other words, I kind of sometimes I forget who I do. Yeah. So I go, I do, I do about a hundred core characters. Wow. I think, and then and then I go, but how do I kind of keep? How can I remember them? And I remember them through the schools. So I just put them in a little filing box in my head through different through different schools they went to. Um, and that's one way of remembering them, you know, or thinking about them. So, uh, you know, if you've got a lot of voices going on in your head and you're getting into a lot of women's knickers and uh, putting on a lot of wigs, Garth, you know, you've got to have some way of compartmentalizing all this or else basically you are because basically I'm Jeffrey Dahmer without the murders. Um, and uh, well, yeah, you have to be kind yeah. of psychopathic to do what yeah. I do. I mean, people talk about, you see, when we first met Mario, we thought he had multiple personality disorder. But really, he was harmless. All he did was funny voices and put on wigs and knickers. So, uh, <laughs> really, I'm harmless. I'm harmless, Garrett. I'm harmless. What I'm do harmless. you make of the, 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 the switch that has just happened again? Leo's back as Taoiseach, and Micheál Martin is now uh, no longer Taoiseach. 
Well, Leo would love Leo would love Corks ninety six FM. I actually think um, I heard him on there yesterday. I think he was saying, um, I think it's great the way they rotate. Uh, they rotate uh, their major job. And uh, top jobs in Cork Radio. Uh, PJ Coogan, for example, does a week, then uh, Gareth O'Callaghan comes in and replaces him. PJ Coogan steps down and becomes second in command. Uh, it's like me and Michal all over again. You know, one week I'm like Gareth O'Callaghan playing my Kylie records. Uh, the next <laughs> week I'm talking bollocks to the people of Cork. <laughs> Sorry, shouldn't have used that language. See, Gareth, I love a bit of mischief. Loves a bit of mischief, does Gareth. And the last lady said Langer, so I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> No, you're a huge rugby fan, and the Six Nations rugby is back. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, so but I did that joke. Now I've exhausted that joke. You I, have. I've, I've, shot my lo- I've, shot, I've shot my load on that. that one, that's okay. <laughs> but can, like, do, do you really think that O'Gara will be the, the the new English coach? I think that O'Gara will be. I think that O'Gara will be the Irish coach. Mm-hmm. It's it's all really a question of when you pick your moment. You see, these guys have to wait until the, the exact right moment. It's like, it's like, how do you like your eggs? Do you like them runny or hard? Or that little sort of little bit in the middle where there's a little bit of run, but it's hard on the outside as well. So that's what it's got to be. So I think Raj will eventually become Irish coach. Um, but he, he, he intimated in an interview even last week that he'd have no problem in becoming English coach and that it wouldn't dilute um, he, it wouldn't dilute uh, his 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 situation. Now I'd love to see him uh, go down the panna uh, uh, and say that and, and and carry that off. Uh, you know, at the same time, because I don't think the people of Cork would be happy with no. Raj wearing a rose on his on his thing. Or Raj, he'd end up having to talk like English coaches. Then, yeah. so they'd go, Ronan. Of course, the English coaches here, Ronan. What do you feel about the challenge of the Irish today? Ronan would have to say the exact thing all English coaches do. Yeah, you know, I think Ireland are plucky they'll give us a good go for about 15 minutes and then we'll steamroll over and England will we'll take over so you know so it's uh, poor El Raj but um, I love him I love him oh, to yeah. death Raj one of the most one of the most complicated um, one of the most complicated sort of sophisticated thinkers we have in, 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 in this game at the moment yeah speaking of yeah. sophisticated thinkers um, mm. and, and his announcement during the week that he wants homework banned our president Michael D Higgins what do you make of that? Yeah, that was a great story. I mean, obviously, I've been doing Michael D since... I think I've been doing Michael D... I did Michael D before I even did the breakfast show on Today FM. Yes, that's right. I was doing Michael D when Mel Gibson came over to make Braveheart. And I was walking around Orsonuktoron, kind of, you know, just shuffling beside Mel Gibson going, yes, do you want more tax incentives? Yes, yes, tax <laughs> incentives. Yes, section 349567 LGBTQI, whatever it is. I'll give you anything you want, Mel. Um, and then the thing about Michael D then is he became president. But... He kind of realized early on that he has no power. So instead of having any power, what he does is he gets himself on, he gets himself involved in loads of ancillary situations that make it look like he has power. So instead of going, Ireland are leaving the European Union or I'm reducing tax rates by 52%, he'll go, I think homework should be banned for children. I think it is disgusting that children should have to sit all day after school and do homework. Why should they not pursue creative possibilities like the arts or pottery or meditation or yoga <laughs> instead of sitting upstairs and ramming skoskelta into their brains? Why should parents 
Bashit's parents, indeed, have to endure the nightmarish scenario of hearing the words, Mammy, can you help me with a quadratic equation? <laughs> or Daddy, what was the Boer War? What the hell do they care about the bloody Boer War? Alice Cooper famously sang, School's out for summer. Well, I'm saying, Homework's out for spring, summer, winter, and autumn. Thank you. It's Michel Amas. That's brilliant. Brilliant. So uh, he's going to get involved in other stuff as well. I know it. He's going to get involved yeah. in other stuff, Garrett. He's going to start going, Why should the hour be brought back in October? That is, that is depriving good working people of an extra hour drinking up time. That's disgraceful. Or why should we be subjected to drive on the left hand side of the road when everybody in France and Spain and Germany drives on the right hand side? And why is Mr. Tato red? Why is he not pink? Why can't Mr. Mr. Tato be gay like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. How do you relax? <laughs> By doing this. <laughs> oh, do you know something? The rest of this is the only time I'm truly relaxed, Gareth. Every yeah. other time I'm 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 I'm, I'm anxiety ridden. Yeah, they made my the wife. Is it, when, when I'm hanging around the house, my wife goes, "Would you ever feck off and do a, a live phone radio interview or something? Would you?" <laughs> <laughs> oh God, does she get help? Yeah. She has lots of help. She sees the two Norries. The two Norries are, 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 are taking her into therapy and uh, they're helping her with her mental issues regarding my voices. You see, she has to endure 1,100 voices going around the house every day, you know? Um, so it really, is, it really is a nightmare for her. So it's best if I just stay in my room talking to you on WhatsApp all day, Gareth, because, uh, because really, we're doing the whole world a favour. We are. I'm making a few people laugh out there. I can't wait to see you on stage. Uh, you're going to do three nights, isn't it? Uh, Thursday night, Friday night. No, no, Garrett, no, no. I had to do an extra night there now because um, I've just looked at the sales since I've been on the radio here with you. Right. And I've, they've put another night on since I've been on with you. So fair play to you, Gareth. Your old star quality never left oh, you. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, no, I'm doing, I'm, I'm, do, I'm, doing, I'm doing Wednesday. I'm doing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday in the Opera House. Great. Um, Stay till Thursday midday we'll Friday get you a full week. I think Thursday and Friday, yeah. I think Thursday and Friday um, and Saturday are just about sold out. But uh, I'm I'm informed that uh, I'm informed that I'm I think I'm one of the only people who can who can who can do this. I think. Wow. wow. God be with the days when in the opera house. Christa Berg. The opera sold. house. Doppy. Doppy. Do oh yeah. Well, dear, come on, Christa Berg. Yeah. I mean, ten nights in the the RDS or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Ten nights in the RDS. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, ten nights in the R ten nights in the RDS with his two caterpillars falling off his head. Those two <laughs> caterpillars that he has that he calls eyebrows. You know, don't pay the ferryman. <laughs> don't even fix a caterpillar. If oh, I if God. I remember well, rightly, please. years ago I heard you saying, "Hello there," and a very good morning to you. Wasn't that's right. That's a very good impression. Oh, well, I, I, I'm a great fan of yours, as I was a great oh, fan of God. Marion's. Yeah, and a great fan. Are you? And I'm. And genuinely, it's great to hear that, Gareth. You really have to come and see me do Miriam as well. I put on an extra short skirt for you that night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my legs are longer than your entire career. <laughs> <laughs> she does have long legs. She does, yeah. But my, now, mind you, I don't have a large television screen, so I, I don't. Get did you ever? Um, did you know her? 
Yes, I know. Mar- I know. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say Marion. I know Miriam very well, um, and we have we've done occasional sort of do's and gigs and things like that together. Obviously for charity. Like, uh- Kind of a double O'Callaghan and O'Callaghan. Yeah, that was that. It turned out that night in County Longford, actually, that the two of us did, and then we stayed at the bar very late. But oh uh, yeah, she is great crack, isn't she? Yeah. Well, you know what they say. There, there was always somewhere back in the distant, misty history of generations and time, there must have been one single Mister O'Callaghan. So we are related. Yeah, absolutely. And O'Callaghan is Cork as well. Oh, big time. Um, so it's one of it's one of the big family tribes in Cork, you know. Indeed, yeah. And, Rose, and Rosenstock, uh, where where is that? I, I just That's uh, Rosenstock is Knocknahini. Really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> in number thirty two, was yeah. that your house? Yeah, yeah, Rose, yeah exactly. <laughs> Rosenstock. Do you not hear about Rosenstock down in Bishopstown, boy? Would you ever get off the radio? The old fella's gawking all over the place. The console is covered in gawk. <laughs> Um, so listen, come here. Um, um, no, my name is Rosenstock, which is a German Jewish name, but it couldn't be Jewish because then I wouldn't be alive because my grandfather fought in the Second World War for the Germans. Um, in other words, he was a doctor. He was an officer in the German army, the Wehrmacht. Wow. And um, he was, I remember he was about 20, 21. Mm-hmm. They said, and they said, uh, wow, okay, Rosenstock, <laughs> funny name there. You're going to have to publish your family tree, my friends, to prove that you're not Jewish. So uh, he published his family tree, and I think within four generations, if you didn't have the official Jewish sort of family thing, you were, you were grand, as it were. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he, um, he, he fought out the war with the, the Germans on the island of Jersey. He was a doctor on the island of Jersey. And that's where he met my grandmother. And she was a nurse from Athenry. And they fell in love. Yeah, they fell in love, finished out the war in Germany, and then came over to Limerick and set up his practice in Limerick. And that's where I came from, basically. Wow, that's a fascinating story. Isn't it a great story? It really it? Yeah. is a great story. And I know story. you like I know you like your novels and your books. Mm-hmm. So it's a great it's a great story. It, it was it was made into a book, you know, love across war-torn Europe and all that kind of crack. Wow, that's amazing. Great. Mm-hmm. Mario, listen, always a, a pleasure to talk to you. I never know when to believe well, you. Well, not always because we've never done it before. <clears throat> we did. We did it in the Maryborough House Hotel actually many years ago. Oh my God! Did we? We did. Yeah, uh, you were holding oh. a, a you were holding a mask of Bertie O'Hearn's face to your face. Oh, okay, that's a long, long time. Yeah. ago. that's twenty one years ago. Oh, at least twenty years ago. It is, yeah. Twenty one years is. ago. Yeah, yeah. It is great to oh, chat to you. Great, and looking forward to seeing you in the, the opera house. So kind of you, and it's great to hear you on the radio. I, I, I had you on there for since half ten, and it was great to hear your voice. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Thanks, yeah. Mario. All right, Gareth. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mario Rosenstock, the one and only, bringing his nationwide tour to Cork Opera House. There's an extra night there now. (laughs) If we kept him on till midday, we'd get a week out of it for him. Uh, Tickets are on sale now, and please don't miss this show, because really, you know, when they made the blueprint, they destroyed it when he came along. So uh, he's definitely one of a kind. Now, uh, I hope that really made you laugh this morning, Um, and thank God we're out of January, and uh, we're now into the second day of spring at Illinois, PJ. Beautiful day. I hope you're well. If you want to text or WhatsApp, 0833 96 96 96. Now, from dance classes in Cork to bustling moves with Beyonce, and these are busting moves. A melancholic dancer says her dream has come true after she performed with the global megastar in a spectacular private concert in Dubai. Chelsea, good morning. 
Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. I'm sitting here looking at a photograph of you on stage at the Atlantis Royal Hotel in Dubai and you're beautifully dressed, you're looking extremely confident and you're adjusting the microphone for a lady who's standing beside you. Beyonce? Yes, that's correct. Wow. How did that moment feel? Honestly, I don't think I actually have words to explain like the whole process. It was just honestly overall amazing. Just amazing. <laughs> Take me back to the beginning. Take me back to Ballancolleg, to where the dream of being a dancer came from. Yeah, so from a very young age, my mom put me into performing arts. I think I was like five or six. She said I was always a bit like sassy and everything. So she put me into performing arts. And it started from there, really. I danced with Ultraflex, which was in Ballincolleg. Mm-hmm. I also went to Cork Art Studio in Cork City, and I went to Aileen Coffee Academy as well. So from a very young age, I trained different styles. I did, like, disco freestyle, hip-hop, commercial, jazz. I started ballet quite late. I was, like, 13 or 14. So, yeah, just, like, throughout my whole childhood, I... So, really, kind of academically, you weren't really kind of looking at going to college or anything like that. You you just wanted to be a professional dancer. Yeah, well, when I was younger, I used to do athletics as well. So, I was doing athletics as well as dancing. And I loved them both equally. But when I got to the age of maybe like 13 or 14, that's when I decided that I wanted to train professionally in performing arts. So... Yeah, from like the age of 13 or 14, that's when I kind of knew that I wanted to pursue dance as a career. And for as long as you've been a dancer, am I right in thinking it's been your dream to dance with Beyonce? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. She's just, I think she's just incredible and I love what she portrays as an artist and she really respects the dance art. So yeah, from a very, very young age, I've, um, that's been my biggest dream. And she's such an inspiration on so many levels. And I'm dying to know from it being a dream to it becoming a reality and you there at the Atlantis Royal Hotel in Dubai standing beside her and dancing with her. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. So I actually got a message um, early in January saying that there was a private audition on the 9th of January. So it was private, so um, it was invite only. You couldn't just turn up and... Um, and at this stage, I didn't know anything about it. It just said that it was a private audition. It was really, like, exclusive. And that it was for the Royal Atlantis on the 21st of January. And at that time, I had seen that she was actually performing. It came up, like, on Instagram, I think. And it kind of, like, popped into my mind. But I didn't really think anything of it. I was just like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of days before the audition, we were sent a video clip that we had to learn for the audition and it was from the LAT. So this is when it was like confirmed that it was going to be for Beyonce. Um, So we had to learn a piece of choreography from the video that they sent, which was to Naughty Girls. And that was like sent two days before the audition. So I had to learn that for the audition on Monday. And that's when it was like confirmed who it was for, what it was for. Um, And yeah, it was... Honestly, I... It's so funny because I feel like when you expect something like this to happen, you have a reaction in your head of how you're going to react to that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But in this case, it was just, it was so surreal. 
And to be honest, I was just very, I was very like calm going into it because I didn't want to put too much pressure on myself. I was quite like, I wanted to enjoy the process, you know, rather than putting like loads and loads of pressure on myself. And so yeah, I went to the audition on the Monday. We auditioned, we performed the choreography that they sent. And then two days later, I got the confirmation email to say I had been selected. Oh, wow. And, like, surely, yeah. I, I mean, you sound so calm and collected, but I would imagine you you must have nearly passed out when you got that confirmation, did you? Yeah, I had to read it, like, at least ten times. Just, <laughs> I was like, thinking that, sure yeah. That, <laughs> you know, that it was um, confirmed, like, 100%. I remember I was just in my apartment on my own, and I was just, like, I was just pacing up and down the kitchen like a mad woman. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, reading it over and over again and the first thing I did was just bring my mom. Yeah, first call to the mammy. He just yeah. knew straight away. <laughs> he knew straight away and we both just started crying. It was just like, it was a really beautiful moment, yeah. Now, I, I just want to let everybody know that the, the this ultra-luxury Atlantis, this is the Royal Hotel in Dubai, which opened, I think, on January, January 21st. It, it, yeah, that was the grand opening. Yeah, yeah it cost 1.4 billion euro to build, uh, which I suppose yeah. in Dubai terms is is pocket money. But w- when when you moved to Dubai then for the actual event, because uh, Beyonce was was the official opener, wasn't she? Yeah, so I've actually I've been in Dubai nearly a year and a half now. Oh right. Um, so I have been in Dubai since two thousand and twenty one, mm-hmm. um, in October. So I've been here like just over a year. So yeah, I had been here already. So yeah, I did. I didn't move for the event. How long were you? You were all on stage for about an hour. Is that right? Yeah, it was an hour or so. That must have been exhausting, was it? Yeah, it was. It was nice though because like there was a lot of different numbers and there was kind of breaks in between there was like the Mayas I'm not sure if you've heard of them but they're actually from Lebanon and they're called the Mayas and they were like kind of like an act that went in between numbers to give like especially the LA dancers that were in like every single number and Beyonce a break so they were kind of in between each number so that people could have a breather Tell me you danced to Crazy in Love that's my favourite Yes, I did. Wow. <laughs> I was, like, reliving my childhood. Like, I remember, I don't know how old I was, at, like, when that song came out, but I remember, like, I knew the choreography and everything. So we did, like, the original choreography. It was just amazing. Yeah. That song came out, I'll tell you now, uh, let me think, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> Does that so make you like, feel old? I was four. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. running around my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and um, now I know Beyonce pocketed a pretty cool 25 million. Would I be right in thinking that for the concert? I think so, yeah. Yeah, nice, night wor- nice night's work. Absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, we're all so proud of you. Now, I know you're going to move to LA for a while during the summer. Yeah, I'm just going to go for six weeks um, mm-hmm. just to, like, take class, train, network. Um, and I have, like, a couple of friends out there and some family. So I'm just going to, like, see them and then come back to Dubai. Okay. Now, I, I know that Kendall Jenner and uh, Jay-Z were at the gig that night. Have you kind of exchanged numbers? 
I wish, no, <laughs> unfortunately not. <laughs> well, listen, it's, it's a, do you know something? It's such a great story and um, I wish you all the best and I'm sure you never know. I mean, I, I believe she's such a friendly, inclusive individual, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm I've oh, not, absolutely. She's, yeah. she's so humble, like her presence is like, you know, sometimes when someone is so like big and like famous that you think their presence like would intimidate you but like she's super calm so like appreciative of everyone um and yeah just so humble so like the whole experience was just super uh, just amazing like yeah. everything was just amazing about it. do you know something it's great to talk to you and it's it's a real testimony to anybody who says i'm going to follow my dream and i'm going to see it the whole way through and i think that's what you're doing so well done chelsea great to talk to you Thank you so much, Gareth. Thank you. And it's been a real pleasure. Still a few minutes to go. Uh, Gareth O'Callaghan here with you for PJ for uh, his break over the weekend. He's back with you Tuesday and I'll be here with you again tomorrow. Now, a lot of callers this morning were very, very moved by Siobhan's story. She, if you were listening, will know, had to take leave from her job before Christmas to care for her mum who has dementia. And Anya is on the line. Good morning, Anya. Hey, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. You are a healthcare worker, aren't you? I am, yeah. What did you? What? Well, I'm, I, I, I'm have to be very, very honest. I, I, I was almost crying at the story. It's, 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 it's almost as if it's a situation any of us could find ourselves in. Oh yeah, definitely. Like it's, when I heard it this morning, it's just heartbreaking to think that there's just no help, um, and it's very hard to find help. Um, it's just you know, elderly people they built everything for us. They fought so hard, um, they fought for our rights, and it's it's very sad to hear that they just have to sit there and wait and wait and wait, and sometimes it's too late, you know. Mm-hmm. Tell me about care.com. So uh, when I was waiting for a full-time job, um, I was actually still in college doing my healthcare course. Right. Um, and I came across this website called care.com. Um, and I saw that you could put up ads to look for jobs and they're mostly like childcare or elderly care. And um, I put up my ads. So all you have to do is just put in your name and your qualification, your age, what experience you have. Um, and you put in whereabouts you're living. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is posted then. It's kind of like a news feed, like on Facebook. Um, and... These people can contact you saying, you know, um, I'm looking for care for my mother or my father or a child. And I actually got a lot of people onto me looking for uh, childcare and elderly care. Um, So basically what happens is you meet up with the person who's looking um, for help. Um, You have a sort of interview with them. And... um, I got work with childcare. Right. Um, so I sat down with the mother and she asked me a few questions. And then the next time we met up and she just wanted to see how I was like with her boy. Um, just so that she could kind of get a feel of, you know, were we suited. Um, so I worked with them for the whole summer. Um, and it was brilliant because you really feel like part of the family. Um, but my sister-in-law actually used care.com to um, find work with elderly people. So she was working with an elderly man and an elderly woman. 
and she absolutely loved it. And the family were just so grateful that they, because they were waiting for ages as well for help. Um, so they were delighted that they actually found help on care.com. But not a lot of people actually know about us. I had no idea it existed. Yeah, not a lot of people have ever heard of us. So the idea would be that Siobhan would log on to www.care.com and they then interview you and try to pair you up with a healthcare worker who would be equipped to help you with the situation you find yourself in. You actually get in contact with the care workers yourself. So you can actually message loads of people and you can see their profiles and you can see where they're what area they're living um, in and you can see if they're suited to you and you can meet up with them and there's like a messaging service on it as well mm-hmm. um, now a lot of people like you have to have first aid completed um, like it's not easy to just you know not anybody can just go onto this site no. and put up an application and um, you do have to be certified in healthcare and stuff like that yeah Um so I know, like, even when I went on the site, my mother was terrified. She was like, well, you know, you might not be able to trust them, but they're all, like, care.com have to approve you. Right. And all veri- um, verified qualifications, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're now a full-time healthcare assistant in CUH. How, how is your, jo- your job going? Um, it's brilliant. I absolutely love it. Um, I finished my nursing course um, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved the course and I wanted to get into nursing but for some reason I didn't get into UCC yeah. um, I got all the the qualifications like I was meant to get eight distinctions in all of my modules and I got that Brilliant, um, congratulations Thank you but for some reason UCC didn't take me but you know what I, I was devastated at the start but I'm so happy now because I have so much time with my patients like I work with dementia patients every single day um, and I just think my work is brilliant and a lot of like everybody can see that yeah. um, and you do have very very hard days and for this woman who's caring for her mother it's not easy and I know it's not easy um, and it breaks my heart because my grandparents they're elderly um, and to think that they'd have to go through this, I'd be so angry. Yeah. Um, it, it is, it's just heartbreaking, and I really, really hope she finds the help that she needs. Thanks for contacting us, Sonia. Thank you. Nice to chat to you. And you too. Thank you very much. Thank you. Just before I go, we also had a, we've had a lot of calls, but we had a call from a lady, Geraldine, who was in the same boat as Siobhan four years ago. When she was caring for her late dad, she was very moved by the story, and she would like to call to her for an hour or two every week to help out and give her a break, and we'll pass on her number. Thanks for listening and contributing to this morning's show. Our show today was edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and thanks to Wayne on the desk. I'm back with you here on The Opinion Line tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.